This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking The Rider and a discussion of westerns. I got my boots and my lasso ready. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hola. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly, who covers the various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back into other movie topics. This is a bonus episode. It's one of these special bonus episodes where we like to have every now and then. Mainly because we didn't realize how basically great Upgrade was going to be, where we like we should have devoted a whole episode to this. But um, also because it's more kind of in between like some of the bigger films. Yeah, there, there's some in-between time and a lot of small movies are coming out right now. Yeah, there's a lot of small movies that kind of have come out that we wanted That's to get true. to, which is also kind of the focus of this podcast episode. Uh, we're going to talk about The Writer. Um, a, an independent film um, from director uh, Chloe Zhao uh, about a uh, about a man who's a, a former kind of a, former ca- like a cowboy rodeo type, type character you know, who suffered a head injury. It's based off his the the, the character Brady uh, Brady um, Brady Jandro. It's based off his actual life, um, and it's got gotten a lot of acclaim. I saw it a few weeks ago, and I got Abe to see it for this episode, and our guest has also seen it, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, but we're going to talk about that film, um, along with um, just the Western genre in general. Uh, much like we do these um, our October horror episodes, which are always a lot of fun, we figured, why not devote like some episode to like the nature of what a Western is and what have you. So I think that'll be probably some f- fun conversation, and uh, hopefully branch out for uh, future episodes that kind of get into kind of genre breakdowns and whatnot, just like we do with those horror yeah. episodes. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No- nothing uh, brands make new, but yeah, like what Aaron just mentioned, we do this a lot for the month of October when we kind of break down different aspects of the horror genre. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna get into all that, but we'll also cover some other uh, recent films that we've seen as well. So uh, you know, just enjoy that. But joining us for all this uh, all this talk we have from Maxwell's Chop House, ready to talk a bit longer than seven seconds with us. It's Maxwell Hadden. Hello, everybody. Maxwell, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing fairly well on this unexpectedly cool day in mid-May. All right. Yeah. Is that good or bad? For me, fine. For science and the state of the planet, questionable. <laughs> To be fair, it's early June now. It's no longer. Oh, you're right. It is June. I'm. That's how focused I am with this weather. Forgive the Yiddish. Word of the day. Yeah, we're here to accept all Yiddish slang on this podcast. I spent some time with my dad today, so it okay. comes out in those cases. All right. But no, good to have you on here. Good to have you. And, Thank um, you for having me. You know, part of the inspiration for this episode was that I saw you saw the writer and that you tweeted out just your, you know, your thoughts on the film. You're a big fan of it, as well as uh, labeling it a Western. Which is something I didn't disagree with, but it's also something I honestly just didn't consider when thinking about it, even though it does deal with cowboys and what have you. I, you know, there's obviously a kind of a, a certain perception you have with the genre of a Western. And I was thinking, oh, that's interesting, because and there's other movies that are similar to, like, a, a straight-up drama, like this one that happened to be set in a certain time or certain location. But I was like, oh, that makes sense. And then I, my mind started to think, it's like, what if we had a special bonus episode where we just talk about that very subject? And here we are. Here we are. Here we are. So thank you for the genesis of that. My pleasure. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's do some. Uh, well, let's go through over some quick show notes real quick. First up, um, our let's see, we have a current commentary out for Return of the Jedi. That was last month's commentary, but we are in a new month, and I've already made Abe and other potential guests aware of what we're <laughs> going to be doing this month. It is Jurassic June, of course, so we're going to be talking Jurassic Park, which 
seems like a movie we probably would have covered years ago, but we haven't, strangely yeah. enough. And it's also, from what I can tell, our first Spielberg film that we've done a commentary for. Is that true? I know! I said that to Brandon. I was like, <laughs> huh. <laughs> we haven't done a Spielberg film for well, one of our commentaries. Know, we don't do... We, we've done a lot of commentaries, but, you know, we, we've kind of been focused on some themes, I guess, so... Huh. Even then, it's, you know, Spielberg, he's kind of had his hand in a lot of genres. It seems like we could have come across one at some point. But here we are. This is very true. I believe we've done at least five Star Wars commentaries and no Spielberg films. So. <laughs> but yeah, that's going to be that's gonna be a fun one. Uh, we mentioned on those commentaries, to be sure. Oh yeah, it's not like we haven't not name-checked the beard right. at some point in any of these commentary tracks. But, uh, but no, that's going to be a fun one to record for sure. We'll get to that uh, sometime in mid-June, um, right before Jurassic Park. Sorry, Jurassic World colon Fallen Kingdom arrives in theaters, so we'll uh, get to I'm all that. I'm glad that the tagline isn't we must go faster, faster. <laughs> That'll be the third one. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, let's see. Also things that have happened. Uh, box office stuff. I have nothing new to report except that Solo's not doing all that well in the grand scheme of things. Uh, how much are we talking here? It made another. It made $29 million in its second weekend. It's, it's, it's kind of low. Um Kind of low, for, yeah. a, for a Star Wars film, it's still number weekend. one. Though. It's number, yeah, it's number one. Um, it's made a total of uh, what, just about one fifty so far in America. Um, almost uh, a little over two sixty worldwide. Um, it's made its money back. I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, yes, it's going to make its money back. That's not the factor. <laughs> it's more of like, huh, this brand. Um, I'm just thinking about it from like in the accounting department. I'm just like, okay, well, you know, we've covered the marketing and we've covered the, the production budget and the reshoot budget, so. We're going to make like $3 million off this movie. I honestly, I don't need to go over Solo stuff too much, but I, I did want to bring it up just because Maxwell, did, Maxwell is one. Of, yeah, we did a whole we, yeah, we did a whole thing uh, but uh, that I was going to get to. But I did want to mention it because Maxwell was part of our summer gamble. Um, uh, so it is, good to bring, it is good to bring up the gamble as much often as we can um, because, yeah, it, we all certainly had Solo place fairly high, um, and here we are. Uh, my, my only uh, comment on Solo's box office is – I just wonder if they had released it in December, uh, this upcoming December, if that would have changed things a little bit. I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. I think it would have changed things as far as they'd have more time just to kind of work out all the kinks, you know? Yeah. Uh, but the thing I kind of admire about it at the end of the day is that Disney cares more about Mary Poppins than they do Star the Star Wars movie. It's like, why, why should we move, why should we, like, displace... You know, the movie that's had no problems whatsoever, it's going to be a guaranteed big hit for us just because some ballooning, budgeted Lucasfilm movie that they couldn't figure out in the time isn't, yeah. you know, doing it. It's like, well, I mean, and also just from what we've discussed on the podcast and on the on the uh, Nights episode, I don't know if moving the date would have done anything for the movie uh, that I watched. It, they'd have more time. I mean, that's, yeah. I'm not sure if it would have affected the quality at sure. all, and I'm not saying I don't like it. In fact, I do like it. I just wonder if, if because the last Star Wars movie was so recent and consumers aren't used to having Star Wars movies so frequently that that impacted the decision. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the true fans or the hardcore fans, whatever you want to call it, they're going to go. Yeah. A movie becomes a big hit when the marketing entices the average moviegoer to get off their couch. So. It's, it's certainly a good way to test the field with that if you have a movie as, frankly, disposable as something like Star Wars as opposed to, like, you know, another 
pivotal entry in that franchise it's like yeah that's right. a, that's a good way to test the waters as far as how frequent these movies can be with audiences you know still wanting to turn up it's, you know it's not mm-hmm. a marvel movie where you're setting in the same universe but you have an entirely different character to work with it's just more of like okay this is this brand how does this work yeah i think if anything it'll teach some lessons it'll maybe guide the way they go forward a little bit and i don't think anyone really is going to be worse for the wear yeah mainly because we yeah. don't we don't really have much of an idea of where beyond like announcements of various things we don't know what's after episode nine right now like there's right. no there's nothing sure and if anything it kind of if it, it kind of helps episode nine where now you have like 18 months before that movie comes out so there's lots of time to give audiences a break between star wars related things uh, unless Solo has a massive Blu-ray campaign or something going on, but um... <laughs> it's possible. Possible, yeah. Okay. Well, you know what you could do is you could buy the Solo movie and then you get two free tickets to uh, Star Wars Episode uh, Nine That's, next they year. They don't. They don't need to do that at all. <laughs> you're going to you, show up. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. Okay. We're going to go. But yes, okay. speaking of Solo, Abe and I did record a special out now nights. Nights episode. Thank you. An episode. <laughs> Oh, it was such a long pause. And my chair was squeaking. I was like, oh, I gotta readjust. I gotta buy a new office chair, by the way. But yeah, Abe, you missed our 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 official episode uh, covering I did. Solo. I, edited it. I heard everything what you guys said, and uh, you know, it was a good discussion. I'm glad that there was different points of view on the on the main episode. Yeah, but I also just wanted to hear your thoughts on the movie, so I'm glad we were able to do that night's episode where we could talk both about what you thought of it. Yes, yeah, thank you, and as well as get into some more spoilery talk on the film as a whole. So. <laughs> So listen to that because we put that up uh, same day. That was like a, a same day recording and same day release. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that's some. Oh, well, last thing here. iTunes reviews, ratings, of course. If you like the show or if you bother to listen to the show but begrudgingly don't like it and still listen for whatever reason, that's a whole other issue you got to work out yourself. But if regardless, you can go to iTunes. <laughs> and you can search for out now there in a name. You can give us a, a review or a rating. It'd be it'd be awesome if you did those things. And if you don't have, like, an iTunes account, just make a burner account. We, we still take it anyway. So thank you. <laughs> if you're like, you know, I really don't want to use my real name on there. So that's fine. Yeah, just make a new Gmail and uh, give us an iTunes review. We'll, we'll gladly read it on the air. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, let's let's move on now. So we're it, this is a bonus show. We're not going to do some of the regular segments. We're going to move right into kind of a recap of some of the things that we've seen recently before we get into our review of the writer. Um, and so I wanted to start with Abe. Abe, what have you seen recently? Well, recently I watched. Uh, I mentioned this to you too. I mentioned uh, I watched Kikujiro, which is this '90s Japanese movie about um, this kid who's got a he's, he's got some problems at home like his mom and dad just aren't at home so he lives with his grandma and he has he wants to go visit them so he meets this really kooky guy played by b takeshi it's also directed by b takeshi um and they kind of have like some misadventures it's kind of like a precursor to hunt for the wilder people um but the reason why i was i was watching it is because i was uh listening to some other thing and they mentioned it and i was like i've never seen this movie before and uh, i've heard the score because I've, I've definitely i've listened to the score before i listened to the or watched the movie because the score is by uh, Joe Hisashi, who's very famous for all of the um, uh, Studio Ghibli movies. Um, but yeah, it's it's a pretty interesting movie. The way that it's directed is kind of you know it is very like deliberately directed. I mean that because sometimes B will stay on certain things for a, a while and he'll just do long sh- or uh, wide shots for an entire scene or sequence. But I find it very enjoyable. I, I think it's got some really nice touches to it, especially coming from like this, uh, from, from Japanese culture, which sometimes is a little bit uh, formal and, and quote unquote repressed. So it's nice to kind of see this 
kind of a creative outlet. Have you guys seen this movie? Kikujiro? Kikujiro, yeah. I've um I've, I've seen a lot of uh, uh, Beat Takeshi's uh, uh, films. I uh, haven't met, haven't seen that one though. I've seen mostly his gangster films, honestly. <laughs> like so, like <laughs> yeah. so, like Sonatine. It's probably the earliest one that I've seen, and I, I'm a big fan of Zatoichi, his Zatoichi remake. Um, and then the outrage. This is films. definitely decidedly not one of those gangster. Films. No, yeah, but from how you're describing, it, it's like, yeah, this sounds a lot different. <laughs> yeah, he still yeah, plays kind of like this tough guy, but he's he's got like an old man ex- old man gruff exterior with like a, a heart of gold kind of thing. Classic, <laughs> classic Takeshi the Kakatano. Master, have you seen any, have you seen this movie? I have not. I'd recommend it. I mean, I think it's one of those like nice if you're kind of out of things to watch and you kind of want want something a little bit more upbeat. Um, it's it's I, nice. I have seen one or two of his other movies, um, the Zatoichi movie he made, but I haven't seen this one. No worries, yeah. And then the other movie that I watched, I've never like I was just like on a on a because um, the Purge. Uh, I'm sorry, not the Purge. Um, uh, the uh, what's the movie with like they just the strangers pray at night because uh-huh. that was getting a lot of praise. I didn't I didn't end up watching it, but I watched the Collector. For, oh, I love the uh, collector. Look, it's great. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I watched it and I was like, you know, this is a really like really cool concept. Um, and it's um, there's some really cool scenes in it too. Uh, the one that I think about immediately is is when um, uh, I forget the I forget the main character's uh, name, but he's walking it's, through the house. It's like Arkin, I believe. Arkin, yeah. yeah. And there's like there's like a flash of lightning, and you just see all this like fishing wire in one room, mm-hmm. and then he goes and he gets this cheek, and it's like, whoa, this is there's some really neat concepts of of torture and also of cat and mouse in this movie. Yeah, the thing I kind of really didn't like was that it, it, you kind of have like this this guy who's kind of this supernatural being. I mean, he's got eyes that glow in the dark. Um, he's got I'm night vision on. He's got eyes that glow in the oh, dark. Is that what it was? Yes, <laughs> moron. Good. <laughs> like looking at it, and I was like, why does it look like? Because it looks just like he's got, you know, his eyeballs are there and they're like cat eyes or something like that. There's, there's like, nothing oh. supernatural in this no, movie. I was, I was confused. I was like, are, is he talking about a different movie? Yeah. Okay, so I must have, I must have like, like looked down at my popcorn at the head as I'm seeing or something like that. But no, I, I think there's like some really fascinating things that you do with this house. And um, much the same that we talked about some other, uh, some other horror movies where they kind of do some cool stuff with camera work. Mm-hmm. I like that they kind of did kind of like this, this like David Fincher style thing where they show you the top and you know they show you how the pe- the people move through the rooms pretty neat pretty cool but um, yeah on the whole it's it's actually kind of interesting and, and I'd be curious to check out the second the follow up yeah the, the collection. collection not I as was... not as good uh, what do you think Max I'm sorry what are you, you going to say no I was just going to say I remember liking the collector when I saw it thinking it sort of got lost in the shuffle of like the little torture porn yeah uh, uh, like, phase that like Lionsgate went through and then being surprised when they came out with a sequel like a few years later um it wasn't as good but I didn't dislike it yeah it's it's a, it helps that it has all the same people involved the collection okay, yeah that's, yeah it's uh and uh, yeah Mark... the DNA of the saw movies are definitely all over it mm-hmm. but what yeah I... that's right because I think the director had directed like saw four he directed four he directed four five and six yeah no sorry no sorry sorry he didn't direct any he he wrote um he wrote wrote four five and but it's the guy it's um mark dunst marcus dunstan's the guy he and um patrick melton they did the feast movies the feast which feast was like one of the um 
He's just good. Uh, the Project Greenlight, one of those Project Greenlight movies. Pro- the Affleck and uh, Damon. Damon King? Yeah, yeah, yeah. By default, the best one, just because it's like it's just a straight up <laughs> B horror movie. It's not trying to be anything more than it is. Um, and then there's like a whole feast like franchise based off of that movie. So it's like, but yeah, it, they did. Um, they did. Um, uh, the co- they did the collector. Yeah, the collection. Uh, fun fact, friend of the show, Jason Coleman. Um, Jimmy O and I, well, Jimmy O and him were already friends, but I met Jason through a premiere screening of the collection at Scream Fest back in 2012. Uh, oh. Yeah. Okay. He was not a fan of the collection because The Collector is like a five-star film for him. It's one of his favorite movies. And he J. Didn't, Cole? Uh, from J. Cole, yeah. So he, he, he was the, he didn't like that the collection kind of changed around the kind of the, the core concepts in the same right. with the collector, but yeah, the collector. That's a. I mean, the collector. Yeah, it's a it's solid movie. Solid. And again, one of the things that really draws me to these types of movies is the suspense factor, but mm-hmm. also that the lead characters aren't kind of just. Uh, they don't know what to do in situations like this, because Arkin is he's a thief, but also he's not doing dumb stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the people that he's trying to help do dumb stuff, but he himself is not doing anything dumb, and that that's like what really helps you kind of root for him. Um, and even the dumb stuff amounts to it's not like they're familiar with this scenario of a person setting up elaborate traps true. in their home. Right, right, yeah. It's like, how do you react to this scenario? No, no, of course, yeah. I, mean, no, I, know, I, heard you're say, I, I know what you're yeah, saying. It's yeah. not dumb in terms of like being ultra dumb, but they're just like, you know, they, they kind of freak out at, the, at times. Obviously, you would freak out as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, again, Arkin is, is a character definitely to root for. Yeah, it's a neat kind of play on the cat and mouse type tropes because, yeah, it's not just, it's a thief in a situation where there's another thief of sorts but in a much different way like handling all this <laughs> yeah well cool maxwell what else have you seen uh, recently i haven't seen that much at home because i've been going to the theater a lot um but i did see upgrade this weekend um and uh last week or the week before i saw first reformed which i really really liked well okay. anna and i saw both of those this weekend so i'd be happy to hear your thoughts on both um which one should i start with? let's start with upgrade <laughs> let's keep this okay. b movie right, thing yeah. going first <laughs> well yeah upgrade and uh the uh sort of jumping from the collector to upgrade makes some sense i guess it's funny because in my i like tweeted some thoughts about it and i called it the type of b movie we don't see that much anymore and then I immediately felt bad about that later because the writer-director, Lee Wendell, who created the Saw franchise, made a quip like, uh, so many people are calling my movie a B-movie, I feel like I'm in high school again. <laughs> <laughs> um, I felt bad, but at the same time, it's like, I don't think being a B, like unapologetic B-movie is anything to be ashamed of because some of my favorite and some of the best movies are B-movies. Agree. I didn't. You know, this movie was barely marketed. I heard about it from South by Southwest. Um, The trailer, I thought, was kind of cheesy, and it kicked ass. It was just the world building was so efficient. Um, It dealt with much smarter concepts and ideas than I was expecting. The action and violence were limited, but but handled really really well logan marshall green is great he, he like i can't even imagine how difficult the physicality of his performance must have been um like some really precise work in there and the fact that they made it for i don't know four or five million dollars i mean it looks like a 20 million dollar movie so you know i thought that it was just enjoyable and you know most of the time you see a movie you're like if they make a sequel whatever but this is one where i i really was like okay i can't wait to see what happens next this is this is from a bloomhouse tilt which is kind of the the bloomhouse production company that's that is somehow even cheaper than bloomhouse or whatever i'm not sure <laughs> yeah, what, what the kind of the modus operandi so, is so of less uh, than a million dollars i'm not quite with, i'm not sure what the modus operandi is of bloomhouse tilt exactly like because it has films <laughs> like slight 
and um okay what's that yeah. that lowriders movie um i think that it's just called lowriders um regardless it's like they make these kind of like small like even smaller grimy grungier movies than like yeah. some of the blue yeah, house I think, productions i think i use the word grungy in my oh there you go because that's it yeah um i think they also did uh the green inferno yeah that's oh, one of them really? the belco the belco the experiment, experiment yeah well i mean the great news is that these are being released in major major movie theaters mm-hmm. yeah and all things all things considered um it had a pretty decent opening weekend of four and a half million dollars which based on the budget the limited amount of theaters and the next to zero marketing is not bad yeah that's, that's a really good puts it, that puts it in a good place for sure yeah. and i think it's four and a half million dollars yeah I, kind of, I teased at the beginning it's like we could have done a whole show on this movie because it is solid like it's a solid genre okay. exercise that's like it it clearly borrows from lots of movies but in like that good way where it's like yes yeah. it's, it's been inspired by things and it knows how yeah. to make its own thing out of it and right. it like, works it, it towed the line between inspiration and derivative and it mm-hmm. never felt derivative to me because okay. it took things in interesting ways yeah and it has fun with it and it's also yeah. very economical and it's it's 90 minutes like it, it knows exactly what it needs to do when to and when yep. to get out and um logan marshall green is solid as not tom hardy um in this movie yeah like the, it... guy, the guys um the guys sitting behind me when the movie started one of them whispered to the other one tom hardy and then the movie ended and his name was not in the credits and they were baffled <laughs> well, oh, they, they thought that it was so yeah. oh yeah mm-hmm. i mean i mean he's doing when, a really good american accent if that's the case when he has a beard when logan marshall green has a beard uh, he's a dead ringer for tom hardy he is no yeah he's he's very yeah, his his facial like makeup and and whatever else is like exactly Tom Hardy. What I, what He's I, just, like, a bit better than Tom. What I especially like about this movie is that it's doing all the things that like this this Venom movie seems to want to do, and yeah. I I hope that the okay. honestly like especially bagged on Venom another on this movie, po- on this podcast. Tom Hardy. Yes, which involves like a person being upgraded by a random thing that gets invested into his body. Um, yeah. it, it's I don't I don't mean to bag on Venom so much. It's just those trailers have been so uninspiring so far. So it's like. Here's a movie that's doing ideally what a good Venom movie would be doing very well. So, you know, I hope that I hope that one works out for them in October. <laughs> I also liked um, uh, an actor named Harrison Gilbertson in the movie. Um, I wasn't all that familiar with him, and in fact, uh, in going with the theme of actors who look like other actors, I had to take a second note and say, "Wait, is that Dane DeHaan?" Yeah, no, he has a he has a Dane DeHaan look to him for sure. Got Leo clones, yeah. especially with you know, in, with the blonde hair and makeup they put him in in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I like the way it like obviously on a very low budget put together its its use of sci-fi yeah. in a way that actually yeah. felt real possible mm-hmm. plausible like yeah. it's, it's a little bit far-fetched for sure yeah. but like let's just say i got out of the movies and put my airpods in to for the walk home and and was like oh, oh. <laughs> yeah you know no, yeah yeah so, it's 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 pretty now, clever and how it can after my for myself then it's pretty it's pretty clever what it does in lee Wannell's direction like he's clearly you know he's taking some cues from his you know director pal james wan where the camera yeah. has a lot of fun in this movie that's great the camera yeah. gets to do some cool stuff in here i was like oh that's fun there's like a trail there's one trailer shot in particular that's in this movie it's like oh cool i, li- I like what yeah, the- i like really, what we're doing really, with this really cool. <laughs> yeah yeah and like it's um, like a, it's a great looking movie like it, yeah it's grungy but it's also like we just talked about solo and like those sewer scenes where it's like well i've, I've seen a little dark i've seen well-lit sewer scenes before it's like this movie's like grimy but it never feels like hard to visualize what's going on okay. uh there's there's a lot of like 
almost like Argento type coloring work going on in some of these scenes. Like this is, I like the look of this movie a lot. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah. I thought it, it, it was dark without feeling dark. It's use of color was yeah. effective. And, uh, and, and just to double down, Logan Marshall Green, he does do some great like physical work in this movie that borders on like, like physical comedy type work. Like just the way yeah. he has to be precise in certain movements, but has such a, because he's not, his character's not controlling what he's doing. So he has to right. feel like, like aghast about the things that he's doing even but while doing them it's like that that takes some talent to have that kind of expression on your face while you're doing certain things so so i have a question about the the overall feel of it is it one of those like campy fun movies where it's like kind of violent or is it actually kind of like a a drama and like sci-fi kind of quietly serious kind of movie i mean i think the movie doesn't try it there's a serious thing nature to it just because the characters are you know, the, you you need to be invested in Logan Marshall Green's journey in this, but the it, but no one's winking at yeah, you. Yeah, if, if anything, it toes the line pretty well. I mean, there's some stuff that's funny, but not in a campy way, in a, okay. in a purposeful way. I thought, mm-hmm. um, and at times it almost felt Cronenbergian. Yeah, interesting. Um, you know, there's an element of body horror to it. Yeah, um, and there are some instances of shocking violence. But it never felt gratuitous. Okay. It was used in a way that felt appropriate and not overdone. Particularly yeah. coming from the guy who wrote the Saw movies uh, and created that world, I was like, oh, he actually restrained himself relatively. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. I would agree with all that. I'd say the movie. It, it is fun to watch. It is an entertaining ride, but not because it's making fun of itself. Like it knows the movie it is, but it's still serious yeah. about the journey that the characters are on within it. I will say about the violence, I, I saw this with Anna, who really wanted to see this movie. She was like, we should go see that upgrade. Like, just the, the kind of, she's, she was excited to see this. And then she, I, I don't think she realized how violent it was going to be. And and she till she told me afterwards that like, her mouth was a bit agape, you know, kind of a gap, <laughs> a gape. I can tell some of the, some of the things that took place. There's one thing in particular that happens where I was pretty shocked. Also. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, the, the other thing I would just want to mention is I really liked uh, the score as well yeah palmer Mm -hmm. yeah good score really 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 effective good uh, is it kind of like a a classic score i would i would say it's more i would say it's more the lot more the lines of like um the um Blade Runner scores. Blade Runner scores, oh, okay. or um, what's it called? The um, Alex Garland's Alex Garland scores. Um, the like Ex Machina yeah, Annihilation, it, it, like those yeah, kind of was, scores. And you know, it felt maybe a little Cliff Martinez-y at times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so, well, these are all great things that you guys have said. Argento, Cronenberg, <laughs> Cliff Curtis. Like, or not Cliff Curtis. Cliff Curtis is not in this movie. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I just <laughs> was trying to mention the uh, the composer you just mentioned. Cliff the Martinez. Martinez. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, yeah, Upgrade is a, it's a solid watch for sure. Don't watch any trailers for this movie, by the way. Yeah, the red Especially not the Red well, Band no, trailer. I it, like, months back, and I was like, oh, th- that's why I thought that this kind of reminded me of uh, Hardcore Henry. That's why I was asking, like, is it kind of campy and fun, or is it, like... You know, like, I, I, you I know, it, it, not to be, like, Hardcore Henry, like what we talked about, it was good for, like, the first 15 minutes, and then you're like, okay, all right, this this gimmick is, like, really just, like, annoying me now. I, I honestly thought of you thinking about Hardcore Henry during this movie at a certain point where I'm like, this and I was, think, I was thinking I was going to say on this podcast, yeah, this is exactly what I would have preferred Hardcore Henry to be, a better movie. There was one, uh, definitely one shot that reminded me of Hardcore Henry, but if that had been done well. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's that's a positive. That's another positive. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Upgrade is um, it's currently in theaters. Uh, really you, solid. Yeah, really solid. A good a good solid watch for you know like a, a, a fun entertaining summer movie that's kind of bloody. Um, 
We're going to see if we can get anybody who made the movie get on our podcast. Uh, speaking of uh, fun summer watches, you said you saw First Reformed also, Maxwell? Fun is not a word I would use to describe First Reformed. However, brilliant is a word I would use to describe it. Um, Ethan Hawke is an actor I've always been a fan of, and I don't think I'm stretching when I say this might be the finest work of his career thus far. Wow. Uh, That's some strong praise. It the film is uh, challenging in a in in the best way. It really grips you and takes you on a. It's mostly a character study, but it, it somehow manages to deal with a lot of issues that are politically and sociologically relevant in a way that never felt preachy because it internalizes it through the crisis of faith of the main character. Um, and in a day and age where I so frequently feel like I know where films are going i never quite knew where this was going i thought i did and i was wrong and so it was just sort of breathtaking in its uh it was in its gutsiness um and i think you know paul schrader has obviously had a huge impact on cinema and it was nice to see this return to form for him um and i know it's been said a lot and it's not an original thought but it's one that i heard and agree with it it makes an interesting counterpoint with taxi driver which paul schrader wrote Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, the supporting cast is good too. Uh, Cedric the Entertainer impressed me quite a bit as in a most serious role as Cedric Kyles, not using his and, uh, his uh, stage name. Not he's using, using his stage name. Yeah. yeah, and Amanda Seyfried is also really good. Um, so yeah, uh, it, it's not a movie I recommend lightly because it requires patience and thought, and it's challenging. But mm-hmm. that shouldn't scare you from seeing it because it's it's really quite good. I um, I can't disagree with anything you just said maxwell i think it is a a very strong entry from paul schrader i think ethan hawk is absolutely terrific in it uh, either not by the like ethan hawk he's an actor that I, I wouldn't say he's growing on me but i certainly i mean the best way you can describe it is when you watch like the before trilogy over the years you could just see him evolving as a better and better actor mm-hmm. um and it just nowadays when Ethan Hawke is in something, whether it's a random B movie, which he appears in quite a few, um, and I'm he does. certainly, I'm certainly, I certainly welcome it because he's always a fun, he's a good presence in various movies, whether it's Predestination, which I love, or Valerian for like his I was bit scenes. Say Valerian. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. like he he seems to be a solid presence in them, or if he's in something you know more serious like this or more. I mean, uh, more deliberately, more watch that you didn't see. It was called the Phenom, where he's like a, this this overly bearing baseball dad mm-hmm. and wants his son to like do do crazy. And he's like one of the best things about that movie. So Ethan Hawke, again, like what you say, he he works, but at the same time, like he's given it everything in in a lot of movies that he does. He does. Yeah, that's what yeah, I'm that's getting at. Like essentially, he, he yeah. always gives he always gives his best no matter the movie. Yeah, he's that kind of actor, the kind of one that you know put, always puts both feet forward and says, "Let's do this," and like he delivers. Um, and yeah, this is obviously much different than any of those B movies we just mentioned. Like it's more, much more focused and concentrated. But it it does have a way. You know, it's. I, it doesn't directly compare to a film like Silence, which actually you were on this podcast with us, I believe, Maxwell, for that movie. It, talking it, about it. It, but it, it, thematic, thematically, it does, I think, have similarities it, to yeah, Silence. Yeah, I mean, I brought it up for, yeah, because it does kind of contain some some you know some semblances to ideas explored or whatnot um, right but yeah like you said also actually it's not really it's not preaching anything at you it's just giving you a, it's giving you a perspective from a man who's is very troubled um, for various reasons and is dealing with a scenario and schrader's way of tackling you know things going on 
presumably with his own mind and through what he thinks works for these characters it's i, I did find it fascinating it is a and it's mm-hmm. it's interesting too because schrader is obviously an older uh filmmaker but it felt like the work of a, of a younger man it felt yeah uh, tapped in in a way interesting. that you know certain you know certain film people in general not just filmmakers as they get older they you know it just, i don't want to disparage anyone but they tend to lose touch sometimes mm-hmm. um and it didn't feel that um what and I, there's also what i think helps is that not necessarily help, well i guess in this case because the film is so successful but like it's a he's not that his back was pushed against the wall, but he's a filmmaker that makes very specific types of movies, and they're not going to require a Universal and twenty million dollars to do it. Instead, he has a two four here, and he has like a you know a few million dollars, and he's putting together exactly the film he wants to put together. Right. It's not a matter, and so there's no studio notes telling him what to do differently or what have you. Right. It's it's a movie that it's a movie that he's doing exactly the way he wants to do. And it, I mean, yeah, you probably, you could say like, this is just done by some like, you know, 20 year old kid out of some random college that like made this thing because he had a lot on his mind and be praised for that reason. But no, it, it is a film work of Paul Schrader. Well, who's like, what, pushing 70? Like, <laughs> yeah. So clarifying question, when you guys say it, it feels like a younger person doing it, meaning like it, it's got the same kind of mistakes that that person. No, you know? it's, no, 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 no. It's more of, in, ter- mm-hmm. in terms of the, um, ideas it's, it's dealing with and it's uh-huh. worldview. Okay. Not at all. And what what I was going to say, riffing off of Aaron, is that some of its ideas do feel maybe like a post-grad work. But because Paul Schrader is such an accomplished filmmaker, it's so much tighter and more focused and well-made than you might expect if this was someone's postgraduate film or something like that so no there's it doesn't have mistakes it just feels vital and even in like directorial style and how he's putting it together you have i mean you have a skilled cinematographer here but like the film you know it's shot in four it's not like like a four by three yeah yeah Yeah, it has music by uh, lustmord who's like an industrial uh music composer um the there's clearly like there's kind of there's rules set in places how the movie looks and then it kind of takes some turns with that. Like the, the every camera shot is pretty much locked off. It doesn't move except for a few yeah. scenes. It's like things like that it's where it's like you don't see that in like veteran filmmakers very often where they're challenging themselves stylistically as opposed to, you know, kind of more traditional filmmaking. And it, right. it reminded me of something like um, Sidney Lumet's last film, um, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which is a movie that feels like just ridiculous as far as how the editing is. It's just like moves and it has this exciting Was pace to Hawk it. Was he also in that movie? He is in that movie. I just thought, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> there you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's there with like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, both of them. Jeez. Um, but, um, uh, but no, that movie. It, you know, that's a movie that's like, how did this like eighty? He was like eighty at the time. This eighty-year-old man made this movie that just like zips by because it, and it's so intense and everything. It's like that. It's so it's and obviously this is much different than that kind of thing. But it's just in terms of different. in terms of like a director that's really going for something as far as both yes his worldview and the ideas he's presenting as well as just what kind of film he's trying to make on it from a visual and kind of auditory level he, he really delivers something uh, really yeah and there's um there's one sequence that sort of took my breath away and um i don't think it's giving anything away uh but i read an interview with paul schrader when someone questioned him about that scene and he admitted that when he was writing it and conceptualizing it, it sort of became a bump on the road. And he said, well, then I just asked myself, well, what would Tarkovsky do? <laughs> <laughs> and when, when you see the film, you'll know exactly what that is. Um, but that, you can't go wrong with that question. Well, what would Tarkovsky Okay, I'm going to do that. And it, it worked really well, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, there's I, a... it, I, I could see it losing some people at that, at that moment. Um, it's audacious, but it, it worked for me. 
I, I will say um, our podcast is uh, we, unfortunately Schrader just canceled the interview with us, so we're not going to get him on this Dang show. It. But there are a lot of good podcasts out there, including Film Spotting, and there's a lot of good articles written written out there that just interview him about talking about this movie that are worth reading. Like they made they certainly made me more excited to see it. Like I was already interested, and I started hearing some interviews. Like this is seems yeah, you know, this sounds fascinating, and yeah, it, uh, yeah. I, I very much was a fan. So yeah, that's First Reformed, which is also out in theaters now, and actually doing quite well also at the also, box office. Is. Yeah. Yeah. is that also a brief film, meaning like it's like probably like 90, 100 minutes? No, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a hundred and th- it's a 150, so it's, you know, it's... 150 minutes? Yeah. Okay. So that, no, one, like, no, sorry, I don't, no, one hour and 50 minutes. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. All right. yeah. Okay. I was like, 150 minutes? Holy uh, crap, this is like a... a, a I, I a, feel like opus. it would uh, be an A24's best interest to mount a significant... Oscar campaign for Ethan Hawke. With its, uh, what, 98% of Rotten Tomatoes, a fairly good critical acclaim, and even, yeah, the box office success that it's having, given the, again, things like the number of theaters it's in versus the pure theater averages that it's getting, like, yeah, it's certainly, it can it, it can stay in the public's eye. Um, yeah, and yeah. again, I haven't seen the movie, but I have heard nothing but great things about this, and uh, even Aaron has quoted me, I'm saying, like, this could be, like, the best film of the year kind of thing, and I was like, whoa, all right, I better go check it out. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good one to look out for. Any other things that you uh you wanted to mention, Maxwell? Not film-wise, no. Okay, okay. Well, we'll, well, I'll get to some of mine then. Um, first up, I saw Adrift, which was the other Ooh. release this week um, with yep. uh, Shailene Woodley and Sam Claflin. Um, that's a fun name to say. <laughs> it's, it's, there's there's more L's than you would expect in that name. You know, he kind of <laughs> looks like her her uh, her love interest in the uh, Wish McCallum series, Divergent series. Yeah, so, yeah, what's his name? Theo James? Is that the... Oh, uh, that, yeah, yeah. Is that the, is that the bland white guy from that that's YA franchise? Yeah, no, that's the pretty, yeah, Theo James. <laughs> okay. <yeah. laughs> um, but no, uh, this Good one... <laughs> this one I can, I can do this. Um, this one is um, based off a true story that was turned into a memoir um, about a man and a woman who meet in Tahiti and they become a couple and then they go on... They're, they go on a trip that take that's ideally designed to take them across the Pacific, where they go from Tahiti to San Diego. They ride right into a hurricane, and yeah, bad things spoilers. happen from there. <laughs> but, um, no. And it's basically with a damaged ship, it's up to Shailene Woodley's character to sail the ship uh, to land. Um, and uh, during the Sam Claflin's character, he's injured, so it makes it basically impossible for him to kind of move around. It's fine. I will say, and I should have had this in front of me because he has a complicated name. Um, the director, Alfazar Cormacur. Cormacur, yeah. Um, he's made he made the film Everest and a couple Mark Wahlberg films, but mainly Everest oh. and uh, The Deep, okay. uh, which he's an Icelandic filmmaker. He made a film called The Deep yeah. that was from Iceland. That's really good, also. But even uh, Everest is like it's got its moments. Ever- Everest know, is sad. Everest is solid as a kind of a procedural look at how this right. thing happened, and this movie takes a lot of that. Like he has a, the cinematographer Robert Richardson. Who's mm-hmm. a, another vet, you know, three-time Oscar-winning cinematographer? Um, so the movie looks really good. Like it, these scenes of just this, a ship in stranded in the Pacific Ocean, it does a lot with that. Uh-huh. Um, the issue that I had that doesn't make it stronger is that the film it tells you both the kind of the romantic story going on as well as the whole crash or like a set 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 a drift story, and it uses those it uses flashbacks to the romance to kind of intercut between mm. the thing that the, the the story taking place at sea. And so it's a unique way to go because instead, if it wasn't that way, it would just be like 50 minutes of this romance thing followed by, you know, another like 40 minutes of the Lost at Sea thing. It's just the romance stuff is so, 
it's not bad it's just generic it just doesn't have much okay. life to it and woodley and and claflin they're fine together they do their job and woodley in particular has to do like all the heavy lifting when it comes to the you know the sailing portion of it right and and that that stuff works and and she's good in the lead it's just overall it's just kind of like all right that's it's fine like it, it it does a lot to kind of manipulate you as far as where your emotions are in all of this and whatnot and I, I get it i get what it's doing and it looks mostly good doing it it's just like all right yeah it's better than um what's that other one the mountain between us that one with idris elba and kate winslet it's better mm, than that movie. Yeah. i'll give it i'll give it that which and i didn't i didn't mind that movie either it's just like that's a one-time watch that looks great because it's set in those mountains but this one's who a had li- the broken leg in that movie was it I- idris uh winslet winslet had the, winslet had the, the okay, broken right. leg in that movie yeah and the rock has no leg in skyscraper just to remind you oh <laughs> coming soon <laughs> just no, just to, just, to, just to remind you of that one we're just plugging it early <laughs> Uh, but I want to ask you a question about the. Uh, is it because also that the the flashbacks to the love interest stuff does it take you out of you know the peril that these people are? are it doesn't. Are... It's not. No, it doesn't like confuse the movie as far as like oh this is really intense and backward romance. No, it's just more of I wish that stuff was better. Like I don't not care about these people, but at the same time I get the I get that story, and I can imagine that working on like not to sideline anybody, but like the the people that laugh at like the book club movie. They'll fall for like the romance of this movie. Like I get that. Like I, I get the. So my mom. <laughs> yes, your mom can. Your mom will feel good watching or feel like feel the required emotions by watching this movie. <laughs> like yeah. it's not it's not a slam on that, but I, I understand the audience. It's gonna work more for. And to its credit, speaking of box office again, it did well for like these actors in a movie of this kind of scale and in the theaters it's in versus the competition it has it made like eleven million dollars this weekend. Not bad in the middle of the So at the end of the movie, did they show you photos of the real people, and do these actors look like the real people? Um, yes to your first question, and kind of a hazy yes to the second question. Okay. <laughs> uh, the reason why is because uh, I'm always fascinated when they do kind of casting for these. Yeah, I, I would say crazy. if you're interested in this movie, don't look stuff up about it. <laughs> I, I can't tell you why. I would just say if you're interested yeah, in this I'm movie, like, don't don't, make it? <laughs> don't don't look stuff up. Well, I don't know. <laughs> That could go any number of ways, Abe. I don't know. But... Yeah, I know. Now I'm very curious. This is it, this it, is like when I watched Everest and I told you, like, oh, I was surprised that this person didn't make it. And I was like, I was expecting this person to make it the, the whole movie. Yeah. Well, I'm going to move on. Um, yes. Let's, let's get to – let's see. I watched the first – or I guess – well, the, I watched the new Arrested Development season. Either of you guys watch this? Haven't no. yet. Season five oh. of Arrested Development, which is, only, which is split in half. The first eight episodes are on Netflix right now, and then the second eight, I guess, come in like a month or so or whatever. Uh, I'm not sure why they did that, but they did. Uh, I actually kind of prefer it too, because I'm like, I don't need to binge this entire show right now just because of obligation. I'd rather like have. I, I I come from this old school world where I waited a week for television episodes, if you know what I'm saying. So uh, yeah, but um, um, I would this. It's like it's it's this weird thing where it's like, hey, I love The Simpsons seasons one through nine, and then the rest is like, yeah, that show still exists, and that's kind of where I'm at with the rest of the development, where I love one through three, and then four happened. It's like, well, that was that what they tried, and then five happened. It's it's better by default, just because everyone's kind of together again, as opposed to the character centric versions of each episode for that season. But it still kind of has a lack of the same magic that made those first three seasons work. Um, and I feel like that's obvious just from you guys alone because you didn't even bother to watch it yet. I mean, so it's... <laughs> that's, that's because I haven't actually kept up with Arrested Development in general. I mean, I remember that I told you that I watched 
one episode and then you were surprised because you you told me that's probably the only episode that you could watch standalone it is the one with like the boat and and it's like always leave a note always leave a note yeah that's like the one standalone episode yeah <laughs> and i was like wow that's that's a weird chance encounter because you know I, i've heard great things about the rest of the show and i do want to watch it but yeah i certainly do not rush out to go see these things max what were you um say? i was just say i i am a huge fan of the first three seasons in fact in college i had like a six foot poster of it six by six foot poster out of my wall like wallpaper basically mm -hmm. um but i'm pretty upset about the new york times interview and some of the stuff that's been going on behind the scenes mm. um yeah. so i've taken a little time before watching it on purpose that's fair. well not helping is that one of the things that i don't like about this season is that all the blues seem rather unlikable more than normal <laughs> Because they're they're supposed to like they're supposed to be not just they're not even underdogs they're just like bad people kind of in general if you like really look at the things that they do and then it's up to Jason Bateman to kind of pull them together but even Jason Bateman's like I don't really like Michael anymore which is that's a shame a shame yeah, yeah I, it's he's kind of like look, the, I, uh, I, I think the, the, fact, the straight man yeah the fact is so often that these things that people love and then go away and then they get brought back it's rarely as good or as magical as as we remembered well, there's a there's a certain kind of magic coming out of abc lately i know that but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh I, let's move on um yeah the last thing i'll talk about then we'll get to the writer is um the americans uh, just because the americans is a fantastic show um that's gone so, not necessarily under the radar because in recent years it's certainly picked up kind of all the accolades it's been deserving since season one but it's wrapped up at six season this week which is its which is its series finale and I've been covering the Americans on We Live Entertainment. You can find some of my, some of my reviews there. I didn't get to cover the entire season for reasons. Um, but um, the show itself, it, from start to finish, remained fantastic. But this this last season was, I mean, terrific. And the series finale is a great wrap-up to the show. Um, mm -hmm. There are lots of series finales where people are sometimes questionable about how things ended. This is not one of them. This was the show operating exactly how I would... It, there's surprises, but at the same time, it doesn't betray the kind of show that it is. And I love that about it. Um, that I think that, that this, for those unaware, the Americans is set in the '80s. It stars Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese as Russian spies that have infiltrated America and pose as American families. They have two yeah. kids. Um, they live across the street from an FBI agent played by Noah Emmerich, who's also terrific in this show. And <laughs> it is, it it is a it is a, it's just a great series overall. And I, yeah, I, was I would basically challenge you to watch episode season one, episode one, and not be intrigued by it. I mean, the second the Fleetwood Mac song starts, you're in. Yeah, but at the same time, it is a show that it's very deliberate at its pacing, which is a fun way of saying slow, but I don't find it slow. I'm, I was constantly excited by this show, and it just has terrific acting all around. The spycraft stuff is, like, fun to watch, especially since it's set in the 80s, but the show's ostensibly about the family, uh, the, the relationship between Philip and Elizabeth, which are played by Russell and, and Reese, and, you know, their, their children and whatnot, and it right. never portrays that. Like, it's cool to see some of the spy stuff, but it's at, at most about the, at the about the characters and, yeah, and if, if you like wigs if you like if you like half-hearted disguises that somehow fool people it is like the one element that you're like oh, i just gotta kind of give it to them on this one um this is the show for you exactly <laughs> uh but yeah a lot of great stuff in here character actor marco martindale has a large role throughout this series uh frank langella pops up for like the middle yeah, uh, Frank Langella pops up for like a good three seasons Langella. in here. He's, he's great. 
Um, yeah, there's there's just a lot of things going on that makes this a great, um, excellent show. Is, is Franklin Langella is he uh, is he playing like you know typical Frank Langella or kind of like more lighthearted Frank? This Langella? is the most soft spoken Langella I've ever seen. Actually, okay, that, uh, that's fascinating. Yeah. You know. him, and I, him and I used to go to the same dermatologist. <laughs> Boom! Oh, now with their name connection. <laughs> There's, I'm going to put an asterisk next to that one for our special episode all about this topic. <laughs> Dermatologist in New York, rated by Maxwell. Yep. But uh, no. I, I, didn't, I didn't like him at all. I, I quit. There you go. Boom. But no, right. the, the Americans was uh, quite a great show. It'll be missed, but I hope that the people involved will go on to uh, better or, you know, things that are yeah. of equal value. <laughs> it's just like they didn't keep it going just to keep it going kind of thing. I mean, yeah, you know, it, it got... it's, it's kind of one of those things where – um, you see some of these shows and they kind of lose their steam and then something has to happen. I mean, one of the things I, I uh, really enjoy about the probably two of the greatest shows ever, uh, The Wire and also um, Breaking Bad, is that they knew they knew what they wanted to get out of their shows. And then they finished at, in season five. You know what, what I mean? What I like about this conversation is that despite the complaints that Abe seemingly had about Breaking Bad, he's now acknowledged as one of the greatest shows ever. No, I, I definitely <laughs> know that it's one of the greatest shows from a lot of people. But yeah, but, the, but the, the way you describe it, you like seem Wire so down is, on it. It's way better than, than Breaking Bad, <laughs> and I will fight to What is? Death. The Wire. The Wire. Oh. HBO's The Wire. It's, it's the best show ever made. We don't need to like put it into a ranking system. We can just put it into a file that says greatest shows ever, <laughs> they're both, they're and they are in there good. along with The Sopranos sure. and a few other shows. <laughs> I've never, I've never finished The Sopranos, and I've never finished Mad Men. The, you should do that. <laughs> I won't get to it, but there's just so much. There's a plethora of media to consume right now. The the the, the key to remember is that I'm going to edit the show so it says Abe thinks Breaking Bad's one of the best shows <laughs> of all time. I'm going to cut out every reference to The Wire. In fact, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> but, no. right, well. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's it. That's, it. that's all we're talking about. This. Let's move on. Let's get to let's get to our uh, our main review uh, for the writer. No more writing. No more rodeos. If you don't stop, your seizures are going to get worse. I'd sell Gus, Brady. I can't sell Gus. It's not like you can ride anymore. You seen Lane? Remember when he went three for three in McCool Junction? And won it? Yeah, that was a good night for Lane. There you go. Sometimes dreams aren't meant to be. That should have been some of the trailer for The Writer. While doing research for another film, writer-director Chloe Zhao met Brady Jandreau, a former rodeo star who is now teaching uh, horseback riding lessons following a head injury, and Zhao wanted to learn more about his story. Cut to now where we have The Writer, a critically acclaimed drama where Brady, along with his father and sister, ostensibly play versions of themselves in a story that recounts Brady's life following his accident. Set in South Dakota, we follow Brady's attempts to understand his new life now that the thing that he was great at being a part of has been taken away from him. Uh, Maxwell... What did you think of The Rider? I absolutely loved The Rider. Pretty much from the first frame, I was, like, hypnotized by this film. It, it, it almost felt like a poem as a film. It, I just sort of latched onto it, and even though I'm not that familiar with the world of rodeos or, or South Dakota, I found myself very connected to the main character because I think, ultimately, his plight is one that we all sort of go through or can all relate to. Um, but what I found it most interesting about it, and I think this is what sort of was the 
match that started the fire that is this podcast is how it is a Western while also not being a Western. You know, the main character is a cowboy, and there are many scenes of him riding horses and, and other such things that you expect to see in a Western, but it doesn't have any of the other traditional action or adventure um, that tends to go along with the genre. So if anything, it's mostly a character study. And I was so taken by this guy, Brady Jandreau, who has never acted before, and I just found him so gentle and there's something about his eyes and his mannerisms just sort of like you know those times when you're watching somebody and they just make a connection with someone through the screen Mm -hmm. um and i think because he's not a trained actor and because he hasn't done anything before and because this is largely inspired by his true story it just felt so natural um i know i'm rambling a little bit but the the movie as a whole sort of overwhelmed me so that's why i'm you know it does it's not also like a strong narrative in the sense that there's a to B to C, it sort of like flows and moves and it's very, I don't know, it's just, it's so beautiful. Abe, how about you? What did you think of The Rider? The Rider is, uh, it's one of the strongest movies of the year um, and there are some issues with it, but I'll get to that. But from the standpoint of the film itself, like what's fascinating is that it is, like what you mentioned, these are people basically playing themselves. Like there are some slight uh, there's some slight changes, but they are it's it's Brady's story. He has the head scar to prove it kind of thing. And these uh, his sister has autism His one of his best friends. And one of his like, you know, people he looked looked up to uh, had a severe accident on a bull riding or a, a rodeo show. And so they, they show him uh, from time to time as well. And that's uh, that's Lane Scott, who, yes, was Lane a, Scott, kind of a yeah, famous so... rodeo personality who, yeah, was badly injured um but very much a real person right. and he was very yeah, a, very good, a good person. and a good friend of brady's yeah and they they go through some some very like touching things with that but like what maxwell said there's this uh there's this authenticity to the movie and that authenticity kind of really helps the movie out a lot and what i mean by that is that Maxwell mentioned this as well, that there's no real like narrative plot per se it's kind of like it doesn't really move like the movie moves but when those things failed I am reminded that these are real people. Like this is somebody's real life and their real story. And then the the feeling that I got when I was watching the movie is like this is an Americana movie through and through and through and through. Meaning like this is like on the like there are movies that just really show you like the America and rural America, Western America, uh, the cowboys and Indians kind of thing. But they they. Again, no gunfights, no whatever else. This is actually just people living in South Dakota, how they live for the, their lives. And it's not done in a way that is like overly dramatic or something that's like overly flashy. And by overly dramatic, you know, it's not as though like, oh, and now his girlfriend breaks up with him and he gets into the bar fights all the time kind of thing. No, he just <laughs> he just lives there with his family and he loves radio. He's got this problem that he has to figure out. He's got to get over this hump. And uh, it kind of reminds me of some something like what Steinbeck would write. Um, hmm. like something that like, you know, Grapes of Wrath type thing where it's like, these are real people that went through this real, I mean, Grapes of Wrath are, are fictional characters, but the depression was real. And he's writing these things that like, you know, just make you feel the weight of the time at that period. And so this kind of gives me that sense of Americana, kind of the way that like he got game kind of reminds me of like real authentic, like 
high school recruiting and like life in New York and or something like the lines of like smoke signals um, where it's like, you know, these are Native Americans that live on the reservation and these are problems that they have on the reservation kind of thing. It's not, it's not, there's nothing beautiful about it kind of thing. It's, it's like beautiful in, in the way that they interact with their environment, but it's not as though it's like um, highly gloss or rose colored. So this movie is like, it's, it's, it's incredible. Like, it's just the way that it has been pieced together, the way that these characters, like what, what Maxwell mentioned, I'm sure Aaron, you're going to mention, like they've never acted before and it doesn't feel forced. So um, it's, it's just, uh, it, it's really amazing to watch. And there are times where, um, I was actually genuinely moved by, by what oh, I was yeah. on the screen. Absolutely. Like, it was one of those things where like, this is weird because again, I, it's documentary, but also a movie. So when I'm just watching, like there's actually two, two really good scenes. And also I love the, the last shot of the slow motion thing, but there's two really good scenes that kind of just like play off of. The characters and one of them is like when when he and his friends are around a campfire and they're all describing injuries that have that they've overcome and then there's also the scene where it's a long shot but he's like he's taming a horse and some of these things are just like massively beautiful and the cinematography by uh, uh what's his name um joshua, joshua james, james richards. richards yeah it's it is stellar so it's it's a really strong strong movie and again like not the best narratively, but when that narrative fails, I'm reminded that these are real people, and I'm basically watching a documentary. Yeah, I, I, I can only do so much to kind of speak to things that you haven't already touched. You guys haven't already touched on, um, but there is a lot to like in the writer for sure. It is a a, a very well made movie, um, very naturalistic movie in a way that I really appreciated. It's hard to, I, I, you know, you can make a comparison to something like Terrence Malick, but I wouldn't quite say that just because it's much more talky <laughs> Terrence Malick movie. But there is, I think, a consideration to be made as far as those kind of filmmakers, something like. I don't know Gus Van Sant on one of his better days, um, where <laughs> where there's so the naturalism on display is what really kind of makes a lot of this work so well. Especially Brady, the screen presence that he brings to this film um, is like it's fascinating. It's fascinating to watch. Yeah, he has this great kind of. I mean, it's obviously a lived-in feel because he's the actual guy, but like it just it's right there. But it's a way that's and it's not like he's you know making jokes or being like a an energetic screen presence just more of just kind of like you said maxwell this kind of magnetism that he's somewhat that he that he seems to just naturally bring which i guess is supposed to come from like a, a rodeo star obviously that's in a different sort of position but the kind of you want to see more what you know what this guy's capable of and that's what you get somehow through a cinematic like endeavor as opposed to one on the back of a horse and mm -hmm. The um the look of this film is great, like you touched upon. Stunning. I mean, it's set in South Dakota, and it really uses the kind of the land to its advantage and all times of day as well. Like you get a lot of uh, scenes that are set within this landscape, and they 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 play so well to kind of what the emotions are supposed to be in a given scene. Um, the use of the uh, the, the, the kind of the horse related scenes i really i really responded to like the the one you mentioned yeah. about the breaking the horse um which is it's kind of like a montage of what they do to kind of like show this kind of long day of this guy doing what he needs to to make this horse like to, to break to break the horse um, right and then there's other scenes that have other emotions uh kind of associated with it that work really well um but like it, it all rides off this kind of narrative of like what do you do with your life and I mean, there are relatable aspects there for sure, and the idea of someone that's lost something very close to him, which is, you know, his kind of movement through life, 
that obviously makes me respond in various ways but i mean it's right. it's very well done um as far as getting you inside the mind of this man um having you know his family members react to him in various ways the family's the sister is like i mean these these people they're not actors they're playing themselves and the yeah. sister who abe you mentioned he, she either has autism or asperger's i mean there's a clearly like a you know she has some kind of condition and it shows right. and it's but like there's such a like a happiness to her that's just great to see and like yeah. how she's performing that's like you know this what she like 11 something like that she's like she's not no, you know, she, she's like 15 15 okay a little high. Yeah. uh but like it just plays well uh to like the film especially a film that's so not dreary but certainly has a kind of dramatic streak going through it and it's like there's there's a bit of life here to see these kind of interactions and then the father the, the father shows you know some of his limitations as far as like yeah, acting as himself which is not the worst thing in the world but it's certainly like yeah all right he's doing what he needs to um, it's not his story so it's not it's not yeah it's that, that helps too yeah, he's not a main character um but it also but it goes it, it's able to go back to brady enough to get him in the place that it needs to be and so yeah. it just and and with all that said not to spoil anything but the ending it revolves around the family and i would say i was very much on board with how things went overall and like yeah, and happy to I mean, see a sort of like choice that was made in all of this and how where things kind of led to um and yeah. what what kind of future that would be hold which i guess the future would be this person would you know meet this filmmaker and make the movie uh, so <laughs> so so we know it works out right? so, yeah. and, uh, but, uh, but no yeah the, there's there's a lot there's a lot to to praise for this movie for sure right i also do want to mention the uh, the score which i think was uh tremendous as well i mean there, there's a lot of great technical things about this movie nathan halpern did the music um, okay so yeah so he did a great job because again that score kind of ticks in uh, probably like for the last like maybe five minutes of the movie mm-hmm. and uh yeah there were there were people that were sobbing in the theater and and you know i can't blame them because again it's um you cannot forget that this is a real movie so I, I don't know how many people knew that but when you start seeing the credits come up on the screen um it's probably it kind of probably would click with you especially when they they show um uh what's his name Lane Scott. Uh, Lane Scott. Lane Scott. Yeah. yeah. So it's like it's crazy. Um, I also don't want to mention that like this like if if this was in somebody else's like hands like somebody who wasn't as good at directing or as good at, at you know whatever the case is, you would basically be writing you know the character like Lily or like Lane Scott that those would be like overly dramatic characters and and because of they're real people it's like it just. You cannot write something like this. Is well, it's what like, I'm to get I mean, at. we, we yeah. talked about this at first reformed as far as like you know a young filmmaker that seems that you're like the idea of like a filmmaker that seems like they're kind of some young upstart or whatnot. Chloe Zhao, she's 36 and she it's not her first film or whatnot. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's her second film or something. It's right? her second feature like film. She's done a number yeah. of short films, but like it does have like it has the kind of film that doesn't seem that it's an indie. I mean, it's a complete it, it's Sony Picture Classics bought this film like it, it but it you know it has no constraints to it that are like limiting the film from being anything more than what it's set out to be. It's not yeah. like you just said, it's not, it's a movie that's over dramatized, over dramatizing the, um, you know, certain characters or like a, a overarching story that really needs to, you know, hit a bunch of different marks to make this kind of uh, traditional sense, level of sense. It, it is what it is. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there, yeah go ahead, Maxwell. No, I was going to, I wanted to mention you, you said a few times narrative failings, um, which I thought was an interesting choice of words. Mm-hmm. You know, when I said it doesn't have a, a distinct narrative, that's true, but I didn't find it to be a failing. I found it almost to be an asset to the film because it's so 
it allows it to be so just plainly focused on the character yeah and on the environment and on these you know you both mentioned the scene where he's breaking the horse mm-hmm. and because brady himself is so good at horses much like tom cruise is so good at jumping off of things um <laughs> you know it's really just him breaking this horse right this horse that his family's horse training company was given and so you're just watching this guy do his job, but he's so good at it. And the horse is such a beautiful creature. It just feels like you're watching a painter paint or you're watching a great, you know, jazz artist just sort of riff and and improv. But because both Chloe Zhao and the cinematographer, whose name I can't remember, were so in the moment and so gifted, Mm -hmm. it feels incredibly cinematic. Yeah. And it doesn't really feel like a documentary. So the, 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 the way they were able to find that balance and find that line is really remarkable. And I think that's partly why I responded so much to it. Yeah. So I want to clarify about the, the, uh, the narrative failing. I'm not saying that um, – I'm not calling you know the script or whatever else a failure. It's just more just like some things that are a little bit more on the nose, like when his buddy tries to like get his, his sister to get a drink or – or um, like when his dad is like uh, kind of like just talking about his casino life or whatever the case is, like those things aren't as strong as other aspects of the movie. But be, like basically you have to remember that these are not actors and this is not like a a, a story that like quote unquote, um, you know, Chloe thought up kind of thing. It's certainly like these people's lives. So, you know, that's kind of what I mean by their narrative failures is sure. just – there's just like some weaker parts, but those weaker parts are not because they, they were bad. It's just because like, you know, um, they're just uh, just not as strong. To get into the um, some of the, the the realness of this film, I want to go back to the Lane <laughs> Scott thing, because that is fascinating to me that you have Lane Scott as himself in this movie. Who's, right. You know, he's not in a good position um, compared to being in his prime, I think, obviously. Right. And seeing and Bra- he's still a young guy. And he is, yeah, he is still a young guy. And yeah. seeing him and Brady interact, there's a lot there that just really worked for me as far as seeing this guy who's now also not necessarily an exactly similar position, but certainly there's a relatability they share, but they're good friends and you're watching this on screen. And it's like, that. that's a lot of layers to kind of kind of delve yeah. into for a film. And it, it does it with such a... It's not pronouncing it in any way. It's just presenting it so matter of fact, uh, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of this film does. I mean, overall, I mean, there's there are some moments that you know feel inherently more cinematic just because of how we're choosing to portray sure. something or whatnot. But like, right. no, but but I mean, those scenes in particular, those they really stuck out to me as far as like, and like like you're saying, like I didn't know the full story going in. I knew it was based off this guy and had some kind of ideas about it. But yeah, looking at it is like, oh yeah, they really. This is just right here. This is just all kind of presented yeah. right in front of me, flat out, like as if this is like a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so just... I was almost the opposite of you, actually, because I, I saw the trailer for this and I was like, oh, this looks a little bit too on the nose of like, I'm going to try and win an Oscar. And then I remember you talked about it maybe like a week or two weeks ago. Like, oh, these are all real people. And then like, I want to go see the movie. And again, it's just like, if you wrote that, you cannot, you just can't write this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't write this this kind of, if you did, it'd be like super cliched. You know, like if you had that moment that, that, brady has with uh lane when he's with the the physical therapist and then he's doing the horse um you know the, the reins thing mm-hmm. 
that would be so cheesy in like a, a, a script because uh, then, you, you know, it's like, oh, well, now I want the score to rise and I want uh, a really tight shot on their faces kind of thing. It's like, no, this is him going to his buddy who he, you know, he, he still continues to love. And it's like, this is all just like really insanely like touching. Did you guys catch that, that part? There's, there's a, there's a mirror in the background and you can see some of the, uh, the physical therapist kind of just like putting their hands to their mouths, kind of like, oh, this is really nice and neat. And again, yeah, it's just like, it's really like, um, it's almost fascinating the way that this has been constructed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, there are two things it reminded me of um, a little bit. The first is the wrestler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, obviously, the wrestler is scripted and it has, you know, professional actors. But in terms of the similarities in the plight of the main characters, as well as an emphasis on naturalistic filmmaking. Um, and then the other thing, and this is a more of a stretch, but it also, for whatever reason, the um, Friday Night Lights, not the movie, the TV show. Okay, all right. Um, I don't know, there's just certain moments about it that made me think of that. Even yeah. the movie, Wait. I would say, is a good comparison point, too. The movie, I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not too overblown in what it's doing. Right. Yeah. Um, Especially for a bird yeah, film. Like those, those, you know, those scenes with Lane Scott, for example, are beautiful, and you can see the love and the friendship between Brady and Lane. But in the in the hands of a less talented filmmaker or one who is less inclined to work with restraint, even though they are real people, it still could have been overblown. Mm-hmm. Yes. So every choice Chloe Zhao makes is the right choice. You know, she must have so like primarily responded to Brady and to the story. Right. It, it, it feel it's so pure in its expression. Yeah, I mean, it certainly probably comes from a collaborative experience too, by having the you know the guy telling his story and that relationship that sure. between them to kind of develop, because it is credited to her writing it, but obviously it's based off his life. But I, right. mean, they, yeah. I, I imagine that creative process was interesting to kind of to kind of go through and get an idea of how to present something like this, how to how to involve certain people, how to portray things. Right. I do want to. I do want to uh, again just. Um plus one to, to Maxwell and Brady. I mean, Brady is such a, like, he's such a magnetic character because he's not, you know, he's not standoffish. He's not like brash or he's, he's, you know, he's like this quiet guy who he knows that his life is in South Dakota and he loves rodeoing and, and cowboying, but he's a guy that you can really identify with. He's, you know, again, if you're to cast this, like as if you're to, if, if like some studio were to be like, okay, let's remake this into like a full blown movie with starring um, some, some big time actors, like I'm pretty sure they'd cast like some guy who you know, uh, some like guy who's who's got muscles or whatever the case is. Like Brady is just, he knows where he is. Chris Pratt is Brady Jandro in. Yeah, you know, like I wouldn't be surprised, <laughs> yeah. and I'd be like, you know, that's like that's not the right casting kind of thing. Right. Um, but it's like, yeah, Brady, like he's I, I I was really drawn to him too, Maxwell. You know, he he's he's a guy that you definitely root for, and. Um, the struggles that he goes through, like the, the basically the the arc of this movie, like it's it's really um, it's beautifully done. Yeah, and like I was saying, you know, whether it be loss or losing your purpose, or all of a sudden having something stripped away from you that was, you know, pivotal to your existence, I think that's universal. Yeah, that's something anyone can relate to. Right. Um, and it just it's so does it so tenderly and so honestly. 
Yeah, um, yeah. There are two great some visual people metaphors. In, in your, your theater were sobbing, and uh, I was one of those people in, in my theater. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna admit. I, I'm not gonna lie. There was like some misty eyes for me, um, yeah. because again, like it's it's just it's very. That's why documentary is like one of my favorite genres of film uh, ever. Is just because um, you certainly start to feel for some of these people that are in the in these documentaries because they're they've gone through so many things. But I mean, the, again, there's two great visual metaphors in this movie that. Um, I found just very, very effective. Um, so it's certainly one of those things that I would recommend people to go see, even though it's a, it's a small movie. And actually, there are two people that left my theater um, within the first like 20 minutes of the movie, probably because they thought that it was going to be a little bit more action-packed. But it's kind of a quiet movie. And again, if you if you have some time and and uh, you want to watch a quiet movie, um, I would make this the one. You know, yeah. uh, there's a lot of stuff coming out too, but yeah, you know, this certainly is very, very strong. Um, any other thoughts on um, on the writer before we kind of move forward? Yeah, I have one final thought about mm-hmm. the writer. Um, I was watching an interview with Brady um, where he said he may actually pursue acting now, and I'm just I'm very curious to see if that works or if that happens um, and what he's capable of. Because you know, you know, we talked about his his father and his sister and how while they're not terrible by any stretch of the imagination they don't have that they don't didn't seem to have the same natural screen presence as brady so i'll be very curious to see if this becomes something else for him and we start seeing him in other films all right yeah well definitely... uh, uh, the, yeah the writer is in limited release now it's been around for a couple months now but i mean there's i mean it's still playing in some theaters probably art house theaters uh, certainly worth a watch um, i think we'd all recommend seeing it in theaters if you can right yeah, I would. Um, I will say uh, Chloe Zhao's next film is an untitled uh, biopic about Bass Reeves, who or Bass Reeves, Bass, Bass Reeves, who is the first black Bass, Bass Reeves. Yeah, I thought it was so. Uh, it was he's the first black U.S. deputy marshal, um, mm. which uh, I know this story already, um, yeah. and so I'm actually really fascinated to see a movie about this. Um, so uh, I, I've always wanted them to uh, make a movie about that character because, in fact. Bass Reeves is the basis for the Lone Ranger. Yeah, exactly. Who's, a, who's oh, always what? been a white guy, so mm-hmm. that's just another example of whitewashing history. But um, yeah, well, I... we all know the Hollywood would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Also, mm-hmm. Chloe Zhao was mentioned in articles about directors being met with for a Black Widow movie, so that's a turn. Oh, hmm. Interesting. So who knows? But huh. well, but, yeah. I'm interested to see where her career is going to go. Yeah, I think I think. She's gonna have a good one. But yeah, that's the writer, um, which we all recommend. Let's um, let's move on. Let's get to uh, let's get to some talk about about the the, the, the western genre. Yeah. How did this come about? Well, as I mentioned, uh, Maxwell, you identified the writer as a as a western, which I didn't specifically consider at the time, but certainly agreed with, and I thought this would be a good idea to talk about what, what westerns. How do westerns work? What what's a western? Maxwell, when you say the word Western, what do you, or like, you know, when you reference the film genre of Western, what do you generally consider uh, to be thinking of? Yeah, I mean, look, there's a more uh, traditional understanding of what a Western is, a story or a film set in the Old West, you know, you know, towards the middle to end of the 1800s in America. Normally, the stories will feature cowboys and Native Americans. Normally, the cowboy will be some sort of gunslinger or sheriff. Um, there may be a, a train involved in a lot of them. But, of course, like all genres of, of storytelling, as time has gone on, so has the genre. 
And as I think we'll get into almost as much as horror, Western has a lot, a lot, a lot of different subgenres. Mm-hmm. But to me now, when I think of a Western, any film that deals with the American West and cowboys or, or people who ride horses for a living, um, that speaks to the Western. And I thought the rider in particular struck me as a Western, not only because of the obvious superficial elements, it takes place in South Dakota. The character is a self-described cowboy and a roadier, rodeo-er, but also his, something about his nomadic internal struggle felt akin to me of the classic cowboy characters we think of from those, you know, old great John Ford or Howard Hawks films when the, mm-hmm. the genre was first really getting started. So that's why I was like, oh yeah, this is a Western. Yeah, much like, I mean, like a film a, a film noir doesn't need like Venetian blinds to be noir or set in New York specifically. <laughs> right. You can have a right. Western without a character that holds a gun. Yeah, right. um, and you mentioned the word struggle uh, in particular, which is something that I, the idea of struggling within the new frontier is what I generally consider to be a Western. Um, sure. You know, the, the spirit of being out there, um, you know, beyond like the regular urban society of the East and moving onward to the West, that's, that's, that embodies a Western to me. Yeah. And in particular, I mean, there's obviously this classical Westerns where it's just it's set during the cowboy days, the cowboys being cowboys, cowboy, 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 bam, bam. But there's also, <laughs> I could do that <laughs> for... That's exactly how they, they pitch it in, in uh, generals. So. I, could, I could do that for three hours, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> but um, Westerns, I, and we'll get to kind of some of our favorite Westerns, but Westerns, a, a theme that I see in addition to this is kind of the end of the West. That seems to come up a lot more often than sure. than not. The idea of the the that kind of the sense of manifest destiny dying. You're not you're no longer moving towards a new frontier. You're in it, and that time is ending as technology, um, social values, um, the the sense of. Uh, of where society is like all those things are coming to an end and, cl- and closing the bridging the gap between being out there amidst you know doing whatever being an outlaw what have you um and having a, sen- a sense of place coming back in the world and and putting a sense of order around it um right. so, so it's like the idea of what happens when the cowboys die so what, what, what goes on there and that 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 little like that wiggle room that seems to be where a lot of kind of the best westerns kind of occupy. What comes from having this light, this certain life, and then seeing that come to an end after no longer having a, a, a much of a frontier to continue being a part of. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously, all of us on this podcast uh, live on in bigger cities, live on the coasts, um, and you know, while technology has caught up, and you know, the idea of the old west is mostly gone. Seeing this particular story or similar stories um, like some other films from last year that we could talk about um, there are still people who choose to live a far more simplistic western-y lifestyle mm-hmm. um, you know just because we're here doing what we're doing we can't forget that this country is very complex and made up of all sorts of people I was going to say there's some there are some like defining plots that seem to symbolize the western um, yeah. if you're speaking specifically towards like a western that's set in that time period you get plots about railroads plots about <laughs> outlaw gangs plots about yep. the, the natives of the land gold. Uh, gold are like like heist type plots right. that kind of thing yeah. ranchers Police. ranchers is a huge thing protecting the farm uh, protect yeah. from from bigger landowners that kind right. of thing and, 
And in classic westerns, the Native Americans were frequently the bad guys. Mm-hmm. But even then, in terms of antagonist and protagonist, you also you know you get the classic idea of black hat, white hat, where you have bad guys that are exactly. bad guys. There's no redeeming mm-hmm. value in them. They're not generally complex unless you speak to some of the better westerns out there. And then you get yes. the good guys that are heroes. They do what's right. Uh, they're right. the ones that you root for. And then obviously, Max, you tension at the subgenres. There's lots of things that challenge There's these tons ideas. Of the subgenres, and so that's what I found fascinating because my definition of western. It's kind of like what you guys have described. It's very classical, right, in terms of, okay, well, you know what, John Wayne's going to ride through on his horse, and he's going to go stop those guys one by one by one by one kind of thing. Um, but what I'm fascinated by these days is the modern Western, right? Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that too, but the, like this kind of goes to your point of these subgenres, you know, just the same way that we talk about zombie movies and there's so many subgenres there, or vampires or werewolves for that matter. Um, the, 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 the modern take on Westerns like we've talked about this many times too. Um, we've talked, we've reviewed some of the movies. Like, um, what's a movie with uh, Ben Foster, Ben Foster, and uh, Chris Pine? Uh, Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water. Yeah, something like that. Where it's like it's kind of just set in the in the uh, uh, it's set in modern times, but it's kind of like you know this guy kind of chasing cops and robbers kind of situation. But it's it's very you know it it feels to me like a, a type of western. Absolutely. Or you get into like some uh, uh, some like animated stuff where it's it's kind of fascinating to watch something like um, the Good Dinosaur and be like, oh, this is weird because that's like a western, but they're dinosaurs. Uh, <laughs> but like the the idea of like the modern western away from the classical things is what um, I find super fascinating because Rango would be my go-to it. choice, by the way, of animation, by the way, <laughs> instead of the good I mean, dinosaur. I know what you're yeah, saying. I know what you're saying. I just, want, I just want to make sure I mentioned Rango. <laughs> yeah. Rango too. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean like we're, we're obviously, um, well, Rango's a little bit more on the nose cause you actually have like, you know, saloons and whatever else, yeah, but it's still modern and it's still, sure, sure, set, yeah, it's yeah. still animated. <laughs> so, yeah. But you know, like I, I, I'm fascinated because we, there's like this, this, you know, unwritten thing in hollywood was like well westerns don't make money it's like a lot of people are, are when you disguise a quote-unquote western into like a, a modern day thing it's like people just they don't know so it's kind of like upsetting that sometimes people are like well westerns make money it's like well maybe because you just haven't seen the right movies kind of thing not to be a snob about things but it's just kind of really upsetting when people will say stuff like the rover is not a good movie because it's like it's slow it's like the rover is like an australian western movie so what do you want from it kind of thing? So it's Which it's are weird. apparently called meat pie westerns. Mm-hmm. Meat pie westerns? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So. It's fun learning some of the names, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I actually had a lot of fun um doing some research for this. Um, yeah. for stuff that I wish I had known and, and, and didn't and now do. Yeah. Meat pie western does great because again, like yeah, that classically I think of the spaghetti western. I I give good yeah. homework. Um <laughs> You what? I give good homework. Um, Professor, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we've because I don't want to go this you know too long unless yeah. More, I'll just say like, hey, if anyone's listening to this and really enjoys this, make sure to let us know because we can do more on this kind of topic in the future. But I, I do want to kind of move into kind of what our some of our favorite westerns are. Um, sure. I guess I'll start. I haven't talked for a bit. Um, I mean, there's there's tons of westerns. There's lots of ones that I really admire, and I just kind of made a, a running list that kept getting longer as I went along. Um, <laughs> I I do tend to I tend to not necessarily towards the modern westerns, but films that would be considered more kind of anti westerns are ones that are like I said, kind of dealing with the kind of the the the, the death of the west. And so I think mm-hmm. of I think of things like um, like the Wild Bunch uh, obviously comes to mind, or um, 
honestly, I, I just watched uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid with Anna, and um, which is very much about just kind of the end of the cowboy days. Um, Unforgiven is a huge example, um, which I love that movie. It's my favorite Clint Eastwood movie, both directed and performance-wise. Um, I think it's a fascinating look at Clint Eastwood, who's came, who came up in the world as an actor in these westerns and was admired for his hero days, being this you know a bounty killer. Um, and then you have Unforgiven, where he's ostensibly playing that kind of character, but from a point of view where he regrets being this guy, this horrible person that's murdered so many people in his wake, and now is kind of drawn back into that life to kind of deal some justice. I, I find that a fascinating play on the uh, on the tropes of westerns and what it's and of Eastwood of all people to be the one that's leading this. It could have just been some random guy making some kind of statement, but it's it's the actual figurehead of the of the western. If you're not talking about John Wayne. Um, right. So I, that's that's one that I, I absolutely love. Um, Three Ten to Yuma, both of them, um, both okay. the the original yeah. film um, with uh, Van Heflin, I believe, and uh, the remake from James James Mangold with Christian Bale and Russell Crowe. Those are both fascinating films. Uh, the the original less not very action heavy, but a very it's like it's like a psychological western. It's it's dealing with ideas of the West, but it very puts you in the it puts you in the mind frame uh, if you've seen the remake you know this of like a man that's be, he's being tasked to do something for reasons that you slowly under, come to understand and how right. this outlaw kind of messes with you during all of that and then the remake i think it's fantastic i mean that, i was so surprised by how good three t- like not that like a movie with christian bale russell crowe was going to be bad but like i that's one of the movies where I, at the end of it i was like wait what's wrong with this movie because i don't see anything i don't see any error <laughs> well, in this like <laughs> james, james mangold's a, a pretty damn good filmmaker he is yeah. he really is I'd, uh, I'd say so. mm-hmm. um you guys are going to mention some of these other ones so i'm trying to look at my more obscure well i mean yeah okay like the searchers obviously comes up the searchers is a fantastic yeah, absolutely. J, J, john wayne between that or stagecoach probably is but and i really uh, actually the man who shall liberty valance also but that he's oh. he's he's like co-lead with jimmy stewart oh, and um and lee marvin in that movie so it's but i mean that movie's fantastic also um speaking of modern westerns no country for old men um yes. comes to mind yeah. along with hell or high water obviously um uh, Ravenous is what I love to bring up because it's a horror western, which I with, uh, Guy Pearson, Robert Carlyle, yeah, um, yeah. High Noon is a spectacular. No, no, I'm film. sorry, I, I was mistaking that with the Russell Russell uh, uh, Bone Tomahawk. Oh, Bone, to- Bone Tomahawk. Yeah, yeah, that's not not my favorites, but it's certainly no, no, it's yeah, a movie yeah, that's. that's what I thought Ravenous was. I was like, oh, no, Ravenous. Is, well, similar. That's well, it is. They're both horror westerns, but that's that's the one about cannibalism. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, more moderns: Three Barrels of Melicatos Estrada from Tommy Lee Jones, uh, fantastic mm-hmm. film. The Way of the Gun, Abe, you know that's one of my favorite movies of all time yeah. <laughs> with Benicio del Toro. Again, and like, most of people would be like, "Oh, I didn't know the, the Way of the Gun's western." It's like if you look at what they're doing at the Absolutely. end of the movie, yeah. it's a western. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh, a classic shootout. <laughs> uh, Bad Day at Black Rock with Spencer Tracy, a post World War II western. Um, that's really neat. Um, which just got a Warner Archive Blu-ray release not too long ago, and it's a it's a great one. And um, what else? I just I just watched um, Dead Man, the Jim Jarmusch film with Johnny Depp, um, which came out on Criterion a few weeks ago. Which is a it's known as a um, 
what's it called a psychedelic western <laughs> which and it's certainly it's, it's certainly a jim jarmusch film but it's also a fascinating yes. watch yeah because yeah, like jim jarmusch is very very specific in the way that he film makes so uh, anna and i are big fans of slow west with michael fassbender yeah, same here. um that's that's what in that movie it's not long it's an easy watch that's one that i've watched and anna and i have both watched a lot <laughs> i've watched that movie a few it, times at this point yeah it's certainly one of those because that's also uh, something that i wanted to mention maxwell feel free to jump in uh, with some of your picks as well but slow west is one of the ones where i i remember watching it and i was like okay well it's gonna be a western movie but no it kind of really takes the genre and does its own thing with it it still fits into you know the the shootout and the bad guys and whatever else but at the same time it's like this is actually really well done like just drama um yeah, go just some in your, the west go on some more of your picks Abe. uh i mean you mentioned some of it too like uh, uh what's my no country for old men was definitely on there um uh hell or high water is definitely on there as well as uh uh whatchamacallit um the one that i just mentioned slow west but i mean yeah i mean true grit the remake is one that i can watch like all the time like if that's on tv i will stop and watch that movie i like true grit more than the original true grit honestly and i know it's 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 wayne's like big oscar winning movie yeah the 1970s true grit but i mean a lot of elements of that movie are why i love watching it i mean deacons is is definitely one of the reasons why i love watching it but just the way that i've mentioned this before the way that the movie is written by the coens again Barely any contractions of that movie. Everyone is saying every word out. Um, the language, uh, use of language in the in the True Grit uh, remake is exquisite. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of of language, and yeah. I remember watching that film just in awe of the turns of phrases and the pure poetry of it. Was yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah. That's like one of my favorite things about that movie, aside from all the technical stuff. Like Which, the score is great. It's lar- yeah. it's largely from the book it's based upon too. I mean, that, yeah, that's it, another it, thing too. It's, 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 a, it's a real it's a fantastic book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, prose it's, is, is gorgeous. Yeah, it's certainly like one of the, the things I love the most um, about that movie. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned some of the animated stuff like Rango. Rango is like one of our earliest reviews, and that movie is is so fun to watch because it's so like it's meta, but at the same time, like you know, it's it's its, its own movie. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's, I haven't watched nearly enough of the old stuff, um, as you guys may have, but, um, you know, there's like a lot of fun stuff out there, but also a lot of like really good stuff. I mean, I would also strangely call, um, one of the movies where I think like, uh, Christian Bill is really great and also Casey Affleck is out of the furnace. Um, and it's oh, like, yeah. As far as performances, these are yeah. like, yeah, these are like movies about, you know, the, the quote unquote new frontier of just like. People still living in like rural parts of the country and doing what they got to do to survive, man. Well, Maxwell, how about you? What are some of your favorite westerns? Um, so if it's okay, I'm gonna just do a little backstory here. Sure, sure. sure. Um, so obviously, I love film and have for a long time. But for a long time, especially when I was a teenager, westerns was like my blind spot, almost on purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys were alluding earlier to the fact that like, oh, westerns don't make money. And for whatever reason, I was always. I was like, you know what? I don't like westerns. I'm not going to watch them. But then a little show came on HBO called Deadwood, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which may still be my, you know, one of my favorite shows. Another uh, western with incredible use of language. Um, and I, as I was watching that show in early college, I then I was in film school. I had access to the library, um, and I sort of just went on a massive western spree. And now it's one of my favorite genres. And in fact, I, I wish they made more of them. Um, so. It's a film podcast, but I have to give major shout out to Deadwood, which is a Western 
and as long as I'm on TV, Justified. Justified, is awesome. yep. Um, a great yeah. show that is very definitively a Western. Um, I'll avoid mentioning some of the ones you guys already did. Um, in terms of newer stuff, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford is exquisite. Yeah. Speaking of deacons. Um, yeah, speaking deacon. of deacons, so I mean, talking that there film is, like, is magnifique. Um, we talked about James Mangold also, but in the interest of discussing films that aren't westerns but also are, Logan, I think. Um, That's right. Is yeah. very much a western. That's a great point. Um, but obviously playing in another sandbox as well. Mm-hmm. Um, some of Tarantino's more recent films, uh, Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight, are both heavily influenced by spaghetti westerns. Um, and I like them both. And if we're talking about spaghetti westerns, maybe the greatest western ever made, Once Upon a Time in the West, by Sergio Leone, um, is just incredible. Um, I also love Shane. Yeah. Uh, which is a little more laid back than other westerns of the time. Um, 1953, directed by um, George Stevens. Um, terrific film with Alan Ladd. Um, also referenced in Logan. Yeah. Yep. There, yeah. <laughs> um, that's true. Um, a horror western that I love, and I do believe it to be a western, is Near Dark. Yeah, the, the Catherine Bigelow vampire yeah. film. Catherine Bigelow has a yeah. lot of elements of the western, um, the uh, you know the setting, but also the sort of gang of of bandits or villains. Let's see. Uh, shout out to Scott Mendelson and Shanghai Knights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a fun um, romp. Specifically, <laughs> Shanghai Nights, by the way. Specifically, Shanghai Nights. Not Shanghai Noon, its predecessor. <laughs> um, and as long as we're talking about Western comedies, I have to mention Blazing Saddles. Of course, of course. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Kevin Costner obviously loves westerns, um, and Wild Dances with Wolves is probably the most frequently mentioned. I'm going to mention Open Range. Yeah, the better film. Um, <laughs> It's a great better shootout. film, I agree, and I think at the time it was, you know, the first Western or of any note that had come out in a while. Yeah, um, and, and yeah. the gunfights in that are just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, you know, we know how ambivalent I am to Kevin Costner on Kevin this Costner. podcast, yeah. and so the fact that I can speak up for Open Range says something, I think. But yeah, that that the and mainly because Robert Duvall is awesome in that movie. Um, but um, the ending shootout of that film, which is like a good like twenty minute shootout, is oh. spectacular. That's it's right. such a like, and it's and it's so real. That's what I love about it. It's so like no one's fanning pistols in that movie. It's such a like, it's a it's all about strategy and cover. Yeah, and I love the way they like hit the hammers instead of pulling the. The, the trigger in some cases is uh-huh. just so great. Yeah, it's it's an excellent gunfight in the midst of a genre that's known for very legendary gunfights. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I'll mention a few more if that's okay. Yeah. Um, Tombstone, which mm-hmm. is on the sillier side, but it, it's just a really fun action movie that's also a Western. Yeah, a um, great Yeah, and great, great actors just having a good time. See, there's... I love mentioning all these because it just shows sort of the breadth of the yeah, genre and exactly. how many different aspects there are. Um, I'm not sure if anyone mentioned McCabe and Mrs. Miller. I haven't, no, but yeah, that's another great one from Robert Altman. Um, Robert Altman, which is also on Criterion and is just fantastic. And uh, how about Brokeback Mountain? Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah, I mean, that certainly is, uh, I would consider that uh, in the Western genre. That, that fits um, in the yeah, same way the writer would fit into, a, into yeah, the genre. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in terms of 
the story itself, maybe not as much a traditional Western, but a contemporary or modern Western. And right. obviously, you know, the dealing with the some of the more superficial archetypal elements I would consider in the genre. Um, yeah, so that's just a few. Um, you guys mentioned a lot of other really great ones. Yeah, I mean, I, kudos because I was gonna uh, kudos on the the Tarantino stuff too because um, those are very kind of like deliberately fun. But um, you know, again, he takes a lot from all of the movies that he's seen, so they they very much like uh, embody the heart of like these old spaghetti westerns. The, uh, the, well. the interesting thing about Tarantino's westerns and they're ones that are very reactionary to westerns and to. American culture in general, in addition to being Tarantino True. movies, so they're inherently fun. I mean, Django. And I think Maxwell, you said this at the time too, where that's a it's a very angry movie. Like it's a oh, it's yeah. a it's a blast to watch, but it has a lot on its mind as far as what perceptions are of how racism functions in America. Which is the movie's probably more relevant today than it was in 2012, which is very sad. Um, <laughs> but... Well, you you mentioned. Um how there are, you know, some, some of the later Westerns deal with the end of the West, and I guess they're called revisionist Westerns, and I think both Hateful Eight and especially Django Unchained are also revisionist Westerns, because what revisionist Westerns do is they take some of the more um, broader, simplistic ideas that the original Westerns did and sort of break them down and deconstruct them and add more layers of gray and complexity to the nature of good versus evil, mm-hmm. Um a more positive depiction of Native Americans, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, Django Unchained, while obviously influenced by Sergio Leone in the Spaghetti Westerns, is also revisionist in its um, use of, of character. Yeah. Um, I think the writer is too, because Brady Gendro and his family are descendants of Lakota, so they are Native Americans. So to have a Native American cowboy um, is unique um, in what's normally depicted on screen in the Western genre. I'm at this place where I'm like, there's so many things we just mentioned and talked about. It's like, I could just go into all kinds of directions and this podcast yeah. can go on forever. <laughs> but I, I, jump a lot, but, but if anything, I, I just, know, I, I just, I just want to say, we should probably put a pin in this and just think maybe we will come back and do I think, like, yeah, I, was like, I think it's one of those things because we can have like, yeah, a, we can have a month where we just talk about like each week's a different subgenre of Westerns and we get into it more. Cause there's a lot yeah. to explore here that I'd be yeah, happy to it, do. What's fascinating again, like what we mentioned and what we preface this with is that Westerns don't take, if you, uh, enjoy movies there are many forms of westerns and what's fascinating is that sometimes you don't even know that you're watching it um and then you're just like oh well that's a really good movie but again the way that it's like stylized or or the, the way that the plot is driven it's very much in the vein of what you call western and again what's fascinating is like what aaron and, and maxwell mentioned is like the death of the western right not like not like the death of like the western genre but just like the end of like the manifest destiny the end of the planes kind of thing and where do you go from there and that's also fascinating because you move into the city and then the city kind of takes it over. So there's a lot of great stuff. I mean, I, I'm very fascinated by this. I, I've kind of actually learned a lot from just listening to you guys talk mm-hmm. about the genre itself. And I'm like, I should go check out some of these movies that I haven't seen in a while or some of the ones that you guys mentioned that I've never seen. Well, yeah, if we actually, you know, the next time one of these films, like, you know, celebrate some kind of anniversary, we should be like, let's make this the month for our Western conversation every for bonus episodes, because there's a lot to explore here and a lot of we'll talk about it in our in our production meeting. Uh, for sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that'll, it would be it would be fun to do. Uh, but I am happy that we've, you know, I would love to delve more into so as, as a lot of it's just us not name dropping movies we like. But I think <laughs> there is value, I think, in recommending yeah, a lot of these a lot. films, um, but also just having a 
having this as an introduction to a future way to explore certain things because uh, yeah. I don't want to. We, we don't need to go for this to go too long, but there's certainly a among the many genres out there. There's a lot to discuss within this single genre. So yeah, yeah. Um, hashtag Wild Wild West just to make one person happy. No, okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure, it's a clever use of like steampunk and the West, but it's, it's not a very good movie. So sorry for that. Uh... Jeez, I know who you're talking about too. I can't <laughs> oh, I know, I know who it is. Justin. Um, <laughs> all right, let's um, let's move on. Let's. Uh, that was our discussion of western. So now we're going to kind of move into out now feedback here. Feedback, 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 feedback. This is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebookcom podcast. We asked a number of questions for you, the listener, all related to this week's line of releases, and then you gave us answers, and you gave us some questions that we will give you some answers to as well. So let's do this yeah. thing. Uh, first question we asked everybody: What is your favorite film about being stranded at sea? This is in relation to Adrift. Uh, Patrick has Waterworld. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. Scott has Chuck's Lifeboat. Sandy writes Life of Pi. Uh, Renee writes Dead Calm. Um, Johan. Oh, no, Jonathan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was going on like a, on, on an Icelandic tear there. Uh, Jonathan writes Just Titanic Count. And uh, yeah, sure, why not? It's kind of a sad way to think about it, but yeah. Um, Justin, who we just mentioned, uh, lists Castaway and the, the Swiss family Robinson. Uh, Christopher also writes Castaway. Scott writes Deliverance. Philip echoes with Life of Pi. And lastly, Chris writes, uh, white squall and open water. Did anyone mention All is Lost? Nope, but that is but it, was what I was going to say. Uh, the Robert Redford uh, film. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is my pick, All is Lost. And, of course, The Poseidon Adventure. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> I also would have asked, does Titanic count? So. I'm going to say that it does, because they are stuck in the Atlantic. Sure. I mean, I feel like they're stranded at sea, sort of. <laughs> yeah. And in life. Boom. That's where I cue the... I cue the um, the Celine Dion song right there. <laughs> uh, next question we have is a uh, favorite film is about someone who's been mechanically enhanced in relation to upgrade. Uh, Justin writes, would live, die, repeat fit here. Sure. They're in mech suits. Yeah. They're doing stuff. Um, Chris writes an obvious choice, but it has to be RoboCop. Uh, Tammy writes Chris, Captain America, the winter soldier for Bucky Barnes. Uh, Frankie writes universal soldier. Christopher writes the matrix and Philip writes the rocketeer. Oh, it's a good I didn't call. Think about that. I wouldn't have thought of that, but yeah, that's, that's a good, good call. That is a good call. Yeah, good job, Philip. Any other uh, mechanic enhanced? Altered states. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I, th- I think it fits, sort of. I'll throw in existence for good measure. How about that? Okay. And uh, Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it fits. Uh, yeah, it's perfect. I like Iron Man. It's pretty yeah. good. There's three of those. <laughs> yes, third one's the best one. Don't at me. Uh, what are your favorite films about characters in disguise? Um, this is in relation to American Animals, um, a film that is now out in theaters oh, now. We... Yeah. yeah, I mentioned it last week, so I don't want to bring it up again. But it is in theaters now, and it's really good. I'd say see it if you can. It's definitely on my to-do list. Distributed by Movie Pass, so use your Movie Pass to go see a ticket to it. <laughs> Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. <laughs> Justin writes Batman. Uh, Batman. And then Superman the Original and the Mission Impossible movies. Yep, masks. Uh, Christopher, what's that? Masks, yeah. Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible, yeah. He's always uh, ripping his face off. Um, character <laughs> Christopher writes Sherlock Holmes, Darkman, and The Saint. Great answers. <laughs> <laughs> the Saint, wow. <laughs> uh, Frankie writes The Mask, which is very clever. 
Philip has Speed Racer. Yeah, that's a that was a that's a sad moment in the movie. Uh, <laughs> Racer X. Face off. Face off. Don't tell me there's no face off machine. Uh, Sandy has Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, uh, and then in parentheses the Jackal. Those are good Doubt. answers. <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire. That's okay. a good one. Yeah. How did how did how did she know where the silverware was? She's really well versed in how their kitchen works. I'll see your Mrs. Doubtfire and raise you a tootsie. Ooh, ooh, interesting. I have nothing to raise, so I'll call. No, well, then I, <laughs> I was hoping you'd raise with um, some like it hot. Yeah, sure. Why not? There you go. <laughs> as long as you didn't raise with sorority boys, I would never raise with sorority boys. <laughs> uh, next one we have here: uh, favorite films that involve a theme park. Uh, Jim Dietz, friend of the show, writes National Lampoon's Vacation, The Lost Boys, Carnival of Souls, and The Sting. This uh, question's in relation to Action Point, the Johnny Knoxville um, film that was not screened and had no Thursday previews and did terribly, and every review has been bad, including from people like Todd Gilchrist, friend of the show, who loves Jackass but hated this movie. So I guess it's not good. (laughs) Um, Which is a shame, because I thought the premise seemed fun. It looked like a fun time. I think it's also on your Dark Horses. It's not one of no. It's not one of my dark. Come on, what are you talking? I'm a, I play this game smart. <laughs> like, what, are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh boy, uh, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, films involve a theme park. Uh, Scott writes uh, the Third Man. That Ferris wheel scene is a classic. He's correct. Uh, Justin writes Adventureland. Chris writes Zombieland. National Lampoon's Vacation. Uh, Cindy just has. She wrote uh, and then put this photo of Kiss. Is there something I'm not getting? Is there something that I don't know about Kiss and an amusement park? I don't know. Cindy, please, please clarify. We'd love or to know. Or is it like a Detroit Drac City joke? I don't know. I don't know kids very well. So, <laughs> uh, Christopher writes The Way Way Back. Uh, Debbie writes Zombieland. Philip writes The Sandlot. And Frankie also adds The Sandlot for that tequila yeah. scene. Yeah. <laughs> Great use of music in that in that scene. Tequila. Um, whatchamacallit, uh, I definitely want to echo Adventureland and also The Way Way Back. The Way Way Back, when, when Christopher wrote that, I was like, damn, that's a good call. How did how did how did, how did, how didn't nobody say Jurassic Park? <laughs> this is this is why you're here, Maxwell. <laughs> yeah. We spare no expense to get well, you. Well, I mean, to be fair, they've never opened them because all these terrible. Yeah, they did, Abe. Maxwell. There's a little movie nobody called Jurassic World. A real theme park. Um, the next question: What are your favorite films involving horses? This is in relation to our main one of the week uh, for the writer. Catherine writes: The Horse Whispers, outstanding. I also love Dreamer and Secretariat, both based on true stories. Has Great. anyone seen Dreamer? I'm sorry? Has anyone seen Dreamer, the film with Kurt Russell no. and Dakota Fanning? No. I was looking at this because they put they put that post and they put the poster of Dreamer. And I was like, this seems like a movie I'll never watch just because it has that goofy picture of Kurt Russell smiling with Dakota Fanning next to him. <laughs> I was like, I just hate this poster so much. That, like, I'm sure it's a fine movie and, it's, and I love Kurt Russell, but it's like... I never want to watch this <laughs> every time I see it. No disrespect to Dreamer fans out there. It's just like, it's ne- it's never done. I'm looking at the poster now. I was like, yeah, I kind of don't want to see this either. It's, ne- it's never done anything to pull me in just based off that poster. It's like, I like yeah, Kurt Russell. I, I like Kurt Russell, to be sure. But uh, maybe maybe someday I'll just end up watching it randomly and I'll, I'll report back. Yeah. But no, I haven't seen that. Um, Justin writes Excalibur. Christopher writes Hidalgo, the Lord of the Rings films, and the Lone Ranger. Luke has Clash of the Titans. Steven writes The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Sandy also echoes Secretariat and Warhorse. Philip has The Two Towers. And lastly, Chris writes Lucky Luke. I want to echo Warhorse. That's a that's a very good movie involving horses. We are fans of Warhorse on this podcast. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's, it's kind I of... I like def- Warhorse, too. Yeah. The play was also excellent. Mm. That's what I've heard. Um, I also... I don't think anyone mentioned Seabiscuit, which I also That's a great enjoy. movie. 
It's, it's and where? Yes. Yes. Okay. And where Secretary is? Uh, Spirit okay. Stallion of the Cimarron. Matt Damon. Yeah. <laughs> one, of, <laughs> one of DreamWorks' uh, two uh, hand animated films. Yeah, I was like, that's the animated film that, that nobody really remembers. I like that movie. I think they have three and hand. They have a few hand animated. Oh, I thought films. you were gonna say they have three in that movie series. Yeah, they, like, wow, they, that's a, that's I'm trying to think of this. They have Prince of Egypt. They have The Road to El Dorado. They have and that, and they have that Sinbad movie. Oh yeah, remember Sinbad? The Adventure of the Seven Seas, starring Brad Pitt. I actually own Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Oh, which that, I just realized. Yeah, uh, Black Beauty. Uh, yeah, Black Beauty, um, and of course Monty Python, the Holy Grail. <laughs> That's as clever as I get for this question. All right, next question we have here: uh, favorite films about cowboys. Uh, Luke Thompson, friend of the show, writes "Battle Beyond the Stars," which is a hilarious answer if you know that movie, the Roger Corman film. It's based off the Magnificent Seven and Seven Samurai to that extent. Um, Gary writes "The Cowboys," uh, the John Wayne film. Chris writes, can I get away with Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? If not, Django Unchained. You, sure, why not? There's horses. Yeah. Or there's cowboys, sorry. Uh, Jim, write, Jim Dietz writes, The Searchers, High Plains Drifter, The Shootest, and Unforgiven. Uh, oh. Joe writes, Without a Doubt, in Blazing Saddles. Christopher writes, uh, Tom, Tomb, Tombstone. Tombstone. <laughs> it's late. Um, <laughs> Renee writes, It's what, late? <laughs> what, Renee? Really? Yeah, you never, you never bring that up with Mackles on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Renee writes Once Upon a Time in the West uh, Frankie writes Dallas Buyers Club <laughs> and uh, Philip writes Bill and Tomahawk uh, nobody <laughs> mentioned Cowboys and Aliens but okay oh boy <laughs> better that than Wild Wild West I guess how about Cowboy Bebop that's a great one that is like the hands down is a, is a great answer <laughs> Uh, now we move to questions that everybody asked us. Jason asks the panel here today, what is your go-to movie about or around summer? That is uh-huh. a good question, and I have some answers that I wrote because I wanted to make sure I had answers. And uh-huh. <laughs> movies about the summer that are like my go-tos, Jaws um, is an obvious mm-hmm. one for me. Um, Do the Right Thing is another one for me. Uh, the Way Way Back did come up. That is just a movie I can pop on and just have fun with because it's great. Yeah. Um, Independence Day. Um uh, less about summer, but still kind of a movie that epitomizes the summer movie to me. And it is set on July 4th, so there you go. Um, Point Break. Um, really? It's all, it's all about the surfing season, brah. I mean, quite honestly, I enjoy Point Break very, very much. Yeah, because it's great. That's why. There's, no, there's, there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's a great movie. Yeah. And Adventureland. Adventureland, yeah. yeah. Adventureland is, is one that I've found surprisingly very good. Um, I want to echo, somebody wrote this earlier, but The Sandlot is, is certainly one of my favorite summer movies. Oh, yeah. I, I like yeah. when I'm going to watch it, like, I guess, summertime too, but it's, it's also just a fun romp. Um, and then uh, there was another one that slipped my mind, but I can't remember it right now. Jaws 2? Um, no, not Jaws 2. <laughs> just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. <laughs> uh, Maxwell, did you have an answer for this? Um, a lot of ones I would have said were mentioned, but uh, maybe I'd add American Graffiti, mm-hmm. um, Do the Right Thing, um, and uh, Wet Hot American Summer. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that's a good answer. All right. Next question we have is for Philip. He asks, how much do obnoxious people at the theater affect your viewing experience? Are you able to tune them out, or do you keep getting pulled out of the narrative? 
That's a good question. <laughs> this is a very good question, Philip, and I, I have many, many thoughts about this, but I am very annoyed by them. And not because, again, it's because we watch a lot of movies, but at the same time, like, the theater is a place where I would recommend people to go watch movies, right? So it's kind of frustrating when somebody pulls out their phone and they leave it on the brightest setting. You're kind of in the middle of the movie, and you're, uh, and if you're in stadium seating, you look at, the, you can see it, like it's, it stands out like a, a sore thumb kind of thing, um, and it kind of takes me a little bit to get back into movies when that happens. Um, if I kind of see it ahead of time, meaning like you know the previews are coming on, and I kind of see it, I kind of shift in my seat so I actually don't see that person. Uh, that's that's kind of uh, being ridiculous uh, with it. So it. It actually takes me a little bit to get back into it. So hopefully, this is why I always try and go see movies where it, during times where it's not packed. That's that's kind of the uh, the reasoning behind that. I um I don't condone the kind of things that go on in theaters that are distracting in any way whatsoever. I think you go to a theater to watch a movie and that's it. Um, at the same time, I understand that going to the theater is somewhat of a risk, um, as far as the kind of audience that you're going to get. I'm fortunate where I go to numerous press screenings where I don't have to deal with that too often. But even then, there's always some kind of idiot doing something or whatnot. But yeah, there are things like, you know, people on their phones or people talking or people running commentary because they want to make sure that everybody else in the theater apparently knows exactly what they're thinking about the movie. And <laughs> those are things that can be annoying for sure. But they, I wouldn't say they generally affect me as far as enjoying the film itself. I don't think, I can't think of a time where I've felt bad about my viewing experience because of the audience around me. It's something I've kind of learned to accept. Mm. Uh, again, it doesn't condone the people that are doing certain things that could be distracting or deem distracting to others around me, but it's not something that specifically gets to me. The thing that gets to me in theaters is when the theater itself is not functioning the way it should be, whether it's not an optimal screening experience, such as my solo experience where the 3D was slightly off for the first 20 minutes, mm-hmm. or you know the the uh, the masking is off, or you know the the lights are on in the theater for some reason still or they haven't all the way dimmed like things like that are things that take me out because that's like that's not that's not the fault of the audience that's the fault of the theater that should be showing me the exact experience i paid for um Mm -hmm. so that kind of thing that gets to me more than actual people in the theater Mm. how about you maxwell any uh, thoughts on this um (laughs) it really bothers me um I have to say I'm more bothered by people using their phone than talking. Um, talking is annoying, certainly, especially when it's loud. But as Abe said, a glaring, bright phone screen in a dark theater is incredibly distracting, especially in stadium seating, to the point where I will like find a way to place my hand so it's blocking the the light coming from the phone yep do yeah. that i do that for sure. um, or i put yeah, my I knee know, i sure. put my knee up in a certain way yeah <laughs> like, i actually you know, use i actually use the, the the row in front of me i use them as shields i'll, I'll maneuver myself in my seat so yeah. that they, they act as shields you know look certainly i'm a i think we all go to movies a lot i've learned what cinemas what show times etc are more or less likely to have offenders right um but what really baffles me is like it's not cheap to go to the movies yeah, I mean, you know, especially in New York City. Yeah, some people have movie pass now. Yeah. It's like 16, 17 bucks in New York to see a movie. It's $23 to see it in like RPX or Prime. It's $27 to see an IMAX movie. Yeah. It's expensive. And then these people come and are just fucking, excuse me. Excuse me. Don't worry. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. <laughs> I mean, they're like, on, they're like, 
on Snapchat for two hours. It's like save your money and 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 sit on a bench and and scroll Snapchat, guys. Yeah. Exactly. There's there's a lot of bothering. Like I I've mentioned this many times on the show, and and Aaron's kind of just like sometimes like. He feels my pain, kind of thing. But well, there's... I do because I feel bad because I know it affects you. So I feel bad that like sometimes movies that I like are affected by you more because you didn't get the best experience watching it. Yeah, and so so the thing that really sucks about it is just that um, it's my first time watching the movie. Yeah, and yeah. so it's gonna affect the rest of the time that I watch it because I can never I I never watch Gravity because some idiot behind me decided to like talk about you know how this. The scene with George Clooney, the second scene with George Clooney, is like is unreal. So I was like, "Of course it's not real. What? Have you never been watching the whole entire fucking movie?" Yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's really upsetting. Yeah, it was um, merely like number three on your best movies of the year list. <laughs> 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 but I, I'd also it's, add that, like, you know, if you are gonna turn your phone on, at least put it to like the lowest brightness setting, or know? sit in the back if you have to. Yeah, have to have something it. that you know. Like, I under, you know, I understand people who have kids and. You know, if they get a text, they're worried it's the babysitter, and that's fine. Like, if you're yeah. gonna look, I'm not unreal, unreasonable, but it's really bothersome when someone is is on their phone the whole time, and you can see they're like playing Gardenscapes or Candy Crush. Right. Yeah, just don't go watch the movie then. Yeah, yeah. what are you doing there? But on it's the flip not- side. I, I, will, I will say that it does embody the notion of entitlements when you think about the money being spent on something and they're still not yeah. can't be bothered to like right. pay attention. <laughs> But, like, I was going to say, like, on the flip side, it's, like, talking in theaters kind of bugs me, too. But when it's a movie where it's, like, I really enjoy people, like, you know, it's, like, it's like a really ridiculous movie or something yeah. like that. It's, like, I love that kind of commentary because I remember watching, I forget which movie. It was either, like, Get Out or something like that where I was, like, I fucking love this commentary. Like, the, the, the theater's kind of like throwing at it because well, that, it that, just adds to the, the experience of it. That seems less like talking and more like reactionary talking. True. Yeah. It's yeah. Not, yeah. Like Deadpool I don't like that. I I think the most fun I ever had watching a bad movie and it was The Box, the Richard Kelly movie, mm-hmm. in a very, the... very full theater and opening night in Times Square, New York. Yeah. And, he, I mean, it just became sort of like a collective mystery science theater situation <laughs> where these New Yorkers were just going at the screen. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, if you were the, one of the fun. few people enjoying it, it becomes frustrating. But <laughs> there are extenuating circumstances where it becomes like a collective experience. But right. I don't know. I mean, it, it's just like it's 90 minutes or two hours. If you can't stay off your right. phone or keep quiet, just don't go. Yeah. And like, you, quite honestly, there, there are times where it, like it really bugs the shit. I mean, when people bring their kids, um, like it's like an R-rated movie and you've got like a five-year-old there. It's like what's going on here and then like when that kid starts running around the aisles because they become restless it's like this is not a pleasant movie experience yeah. at all Someone, and again know. i'm not trying to be a snob about it it's actually just one of those things where it's like come on be fucking like Abe, it's not it's not snobby to complain about children running through the aisles of a theater in an r-rated movie there's nothing yeah, snobby I, about that we, use some comments we, saw, we saw final destination five at midnight yeah. midnight and there was a family with like four kids like playing jacks in the front <laughs> Jeez. What? Are they from the 1950s? <laughs> they, like, took out a Jenga set. They made pancakes on their... Gr- it was ridiculous. They, like, had a whole picnic and were playing games while the parents were trying to watch Final Destination 5. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the best but... one in the franchise and everything, too. That was really distracting. <laughs> you I'm, know, not, I'm not kidding. <laughs> it's a great one. <laughs> I think it's a little blown out of proportion as someone who goes to the movies a lot mm-hmm. maybe there's an issue one every 10 times for me 
But for people who go less and they happen to keep finding those issues, I certainly see why. And like, I feel like all the theaters and the studios are complaining about and trying to figure out ways to raise attendance, have people that police the etiquette in your auditoriums. We have to move on. Yeah. Um, but thank you for that question. So, yeah. uh, Clearly we're distracted. Good it was, question. It's a good question. All right, let's start wrapping things up here. Let's get to a little... Uh, I was out of feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Let's move on to Out Now Presents What's Out Now. These are movies that are coming out on Blu-ray or DVD this week. First up is A Wrinkle in Time, which, Maxwell, you were on that episode with us. I was. <laughs> and we disagreed. <laughs> but, um, to a point. To a point. To a point, yes. Uh, but that's, uh, that's Out Now. Uh, also Out, The Hurricane Heist. Perfectly entertaining. <laughs> Great things. Perfectly entertaining. I plan on renting that after you're discussing it on, I believe, the Wrinkle in Time episode. Yeah. Uh, it is a fun movie. We um, might have to do the next episode. Uh, also out, Gringo. This is the one with uh, oh. David Yellowo, Charlie Theron. Um, yeah, I think you're reviewing Joel it. Joel with... It's Yeah, it's whatever. It's it, It's a little too slow to be more exciting than it should be. Uh, but Charlton Copley pops up like halfway through, and he's great. He does a great job. <laughs> uh, Thoroughbreds out this week. Uh, I've heard great things. This I really like this movie a lot. Uh, probably still be high amongst my favorite films of the year so far. Um, really strong, uh, kind of kind of uh, three person oh. story. Um, yeah, I love Thoroughbreds. Yeah, well done. Um, very entertaining. One of Anton Yelton's last works. Right? It, I believe it is his very last uh, cinematic feature. Um, but yeah, good stuff there. Uh, Death Wish, not good stuff there. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> um, Peter Peter Pan, Signature Edition. Wait, why would Death Wish, wasn't that a Netflix release? Shouldn't it already still be on Netflix? No, that's Death Note. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was talking about the terrible Bruce Willis film that nobody wanted oh, to see. Oh, that one. Okay, all right. <laughs> that okay. one. My mistake. The one, the one that got delayed because of the shooting and then got moved to the time when there was another shooting. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, this is a very common occurrence. Yeah. Uh, Peter Pan, Signature Edition. Um, new Disney release of Peter Pan. Uh, animated? Okay. The Disney release, yes. Um, also out now. I think it came out just in Best Buy, but now it's out everywhere. Avatar: The Complete Series on Blu-ray. The Nickelodeon show. Avatar: The Last Ember Airbender: The Complete Series. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that, that's a fantastic uh, animated show. Fantastic yeah. and a set I plan to buy. Yep. Yeah. It like is... a lot of themes that are much more mature for its age range. It's great. And the follow-up series is very good. Yeah, as The well. Legend of Korra. Legend of Korra. Yeah. yeah. Um, Every Day, this was some Warner Brothers romance film that I didn't see that probably came out on Valentine's Day. I'm just mm-hmm. guessing. Haven't heard of it. Yeah. Every Oh, um, I've actually read the book. It's a cool concept. It's it's like a young adult romance where, I can't remember, honestly, I can't remember if it's the, the girl or the boy, but one of them every day wakes up in a new body. Huh. And, like, oh, gets to be what? in that body for the day, and then when they fall asleep, they wake up in another body. Huh. This is almost like your name, but... And they were trying right to, and it, it, the book was good because it was about, and I, I feel bad that I can't remember if it was the boy or the girl, because the body they wake up in is not necessarily what gender they are. Mm-hmm. So it's different, but about trying to manage that relationship. It, it stars um, Anjuri Rice, who is the daughter of Ryan Gosling in the new, in, in the, the new the, the nice guys. Oh, oh interesting. Okay. Was good yeah, in it. Yeah. Just, yeah, I would like to see the movie funny. just because, like I said, I like the book, but... Um, played for like a week and then it left. Yeah, well, that's okay. more time than I expected to talk about every day, but that sounds... Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, it's all right, because <laughs> I didn't know what it was. I was just like, oh, that's yeah. some random Warner Brothers movie I didn't see. Uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers um, and The Big Country. A couple classics there. Um, on a Blu-ray this week. Uh, South Park Season 21. 
out on Blu-ray this week. <laughs> and The Last Ship Season 4. Uh, uh, on, uh, I didn't know that show was still on. Yeah, well, it is TNT. Yeah, how long can you be floating in the uh, the ocean? But it is a post-apocalyptic show. It's, it's right, a, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, you yeah. know. If there's if there's no land to go to, I'm sure it's not going to work out too much. I saw it in, in I saw it done in World War Z. It's pretty good there. But uh, yeah, that's what's out now. Let's move on to extremely cool. There's things that are now streaming on Netflix and Amazon Prime. And uh, first up on Netflix, uh, the last day of the Letterman entry for now, I believe, because I think there's only six of them. Uh, the um, and my next guest needs no introduction. Uh, this month is uh, Howard Stern is the latest one. Um, where David, David Letterman just interviews somebody for an hour, and it's generally really entertaining. Um, Very good. Just to back up on this, because I've been mentioning these every time they come out, I think the Jay-Z one might have been my favorite one. I think that one was fascinating to me, because it's like, all the other ones are good, um, but it's like, I kind of know what to expect from some of those interviews. I didn't know what to expect from an interview between David Letterman and Jay-Z. Um, okay. So there was, there was a lot um, My mom loves David Letterman, and Mm -hmm. so she's been watching this, and she had a lot of questions about Jay-Z. Yeah. Oh, I certainly do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not a conclusive interview. She's not not familiar with with rap music or Jay-Z at all, so Mm -hmm. she was asking me lots of interesting things. But even knowing him, it's like, there's a lot of implications of certain things here that I don't quite think we have the full story on, but I am kind of interested in. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. for sure. It's well worth watching. Yeah. Okay. Uh, But the other ones were like, Tina Fey was last month. That was really good. Obama was the first one, which is obviously great. Yeah. Uh, Malala yes. was the third one. Uh, George Clooney, who won a Drama Desk Award just earlier this evening. Yeah. Oh, kudos! And may may win a Tony on Sunday. There you go. Uh, also on Netflix this week, Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, that was it, a fun one. It yeah, Ragnaroks. <laughs> yeah. Great use Ever of so the immigrant often, song. I forget that Taika Waititi was in Green Lantern, and then I remember he was. Yeah, he's his best friend in that movie. It's okay. You don't have to remember because oh, nobody okay. needs All to right. ever. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't exist anymore. We saw Deadpool too. Um, Prime <laughs> on on Prime this week. Uh, Rescue me. The entire series now on, on Prime. I saw that. I was like, oh, that's neat. I like that I've show. Seen, I've seen like a handful of episodes. They're pretty okay. The first the first few seasons are like really strong, and, um, then, and then it keeps going. Michael J. Fox was good on that show. Oh yeah, he had an arc. He had a small arc. Yes, I recall that. <laughs> Uh, Babylon 5 is also apparently on uh, Prime now. I only mentioned that oh. because the guys at HHWLOD are going to start a summer podcast going over all the episodes. Oh. I am actually very thrilled to know this information. Yeah, well, that's it's all now, including the four movies, I believe, or something. So Yeah, four. Yeah, four. Yeah. Hmm. Um, the Disaster Artist is now on Prime. Uh, I can't remember what I felt about that movie. but it, you, know, you were, you you were, you were less positive than I was, but you still overall liked it. There you it's go. Fine. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Hard Rain, which I mentioned because we did a commentary track for Hard, or we did a, a cult cinema cavalcade episode of Brandon Peters around the show and Colin Bricker <laughs> uh, for Hard Rain, which is just a fun Christian Slater die hard in a flood movie. <laughs> um, all, uh, yeah, just gets mentioned a lot on Twitter. Hard Rain, yeah, it hard does, because it celebrated its 20th anniversary this year, Max. Well, that's why <laughs> it's a legendary <laughs> film. Yeah, the more you know. Yeah, uh, all of the Leprechaun movies are now on Prime. Really? <laughs> I just wanted to throw that out there. That means yes. That means yes. We have Leprechaun, Leprechaun Two, Leprechaun Three, Leprechaun Four in space, space. Leprechaun in the Hood, and Leprechaun Back to the Hood, and then Leprechaun colon Origins. Is it is it two like the number two right? Oh, it is Leprechaun back to the hood. Yes, the hood. It, it, yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. It is indeed two and duh. Yeah. <laughs> Those are very important things. You will yeah. not get a proper search if you cite, if you if you write it differently than that. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, Lady Bird is on Prime now. 
Yes, yeah. I actually uh, I got the special when it was ninety nine cents rental, and then a week later it's uh, just streaming on Prime. So yeah, no, I'm gonna support that movie always. Yeah. Uh, next week that's so that's extremely cool. Next week's show. Next week we'll be talking Ocean's Eight or Ocean's Ocho, as I like to refer to it. <laughs> I like the alliteration there. This has a better <laughs> ring. I would say. Yeah, that's what we will be talking. And the last thing we do here is what should people go and see now and what do you plan to see next? Uh, Maxwell Hadden, what should people go and see in theaters right now? Um, well, I, we talked about it earlier. Uh, Upgrade deserves the support. And if you haven't seen First Reformed or The Rider and they're playing at an art house near you, I highly recommend both. Those are two of my favorites of the year. Hey. Uh, if you haven't seen Avengers Infinity War, go see that. And if you're kind of tired of some stuff and you want to switch things up, go see Tully. Or if you can't see Tully anymore, go see uh, The Writer. Uh, next, Ocean's 8. Um, yeah, I would second The Avengers because, hey, it's fun. Um, also, American Animals, um, I already mentioned earlier, but it is a solid heist movie with some interesting uh, narrative twists on it as far as how it's presented. Um, it's certainly worthwhile if you can find it. Um, and, yeah, all the ones you mentioned are, you know, well we're seeing as well the next thing i'm seeing is hereditary which i'm very excited oh, about okay well Dallas. you know uh, i'm gonna go see that too so we'll definitely have to go talk about it at some point yeah i i know nothing about this movie because i've avoided every single detail That's good. about it and i'm kind of excited about that um but i am prepared to be disturbed um in some way but yeah that's uh well that's that so that's gonna do it for this week's episode about now third and abe you can find more of my work my personal bob the code is zeke.com all my written movie, review, movie reviews are over there. You can also find me on Wise of Blue. You can find me on Twitter at AaronsPS4. You can find me at We Live Entertainment, writing about, well, I'm done. Well, I guess Preacher starts in a few weeks, so I'll be covering that over there along okay. with my reviews. And uh, just to point this out, on HHWLOD, uh, friends of the show Jim Dietz and Russell Latham and I, uh, we did do a limited run on um, a podcast covering the Americans. So if you want to hear more of my thoughts on the Americans, we did do a few episodes covering the kind of the final season in general. So What's the name of the podcast? It is called Dos Vidanya. <laughs> yeah, but that's a, that's at hhwlod.com, so you can find that there. Abe, how about well you? Done. You find more fun stuff over on my Instagram, abemula.jpg, uh, and Twitter, twitter.com slash walrusmoose, hashtag, please use some common sense when going to the movie theater. That's a long hashtag. I will not use that. It's uh, still less than 100, or 240 characters. Okay, fair enough. Maxwell, how, did, how about you? Where, where can people find more of your work? Uh, yeah, just follow me on Twitter at Cinemaxwell, hashtag phones off. There, see? There you <laughs> go. Simple. There you go. That's, that's <laughs> more succinct than mine. Yeah. That's why Maxwell's a better writer. Yeah, that's why the Warriors <laughs> win more games lately. You know, they keep it simple. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. J.R. Smith. I should have I hashtag Dub Nation. <laughs> well, yeah, you can, you can do that on that sports show you never plug on this podcast. <laughs> We're still getting the. We're still getting our feet wet. It's been a year. I keep on forgetting <laughs> that I have that show. Like, yeah, you have an, an entirely other podcast that you never you mentioned. Have a sports podcast? Yes, he does. Uh, yeah. You, you see how you see how much about. you see how useful information that would be. Like, we talk you... about other. I, I'm gonna start plugging it. Thank you for thank you for the plug there. <laughs> I'll, I'll plug it regularly the next week. <laughs> what what is that podcast about, Abe? Tell Maxwell. It's it's uh it's uh it's basically a long form sports journalism take on certain events. So for example, like concussions in the NFL. Uh, we actually had one recently about um, uh, sports betting because that became more legal. But sometimes we'll just do like a whole bunch of topics in a in what we call hypercycle mm-hmm. episodes, where we just talk about all the the more current things that happened in the sporting world. Oh, I have so. a topic I'd love to talk about. If you have it, I would love to talk to you about this. We'll we'll we'll, we'll DM each other. That's what they okay. say on the internet. 
But yes, that's Abe's podcast he doesn't mention, Sub640, available on iTunes now. That is correct. Oh. Yeah. You can find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe over on <laughs> iTunes as well, as well as an audio boom. You can also listen to our old stuff over at HHWLOD, SoundCloud, and Podomatic. Uh, I think we're also on Google Play now. We've been, we know we've been, we've been, I gotta incorporate this into the script, because we've been on Google Play, I just never really mentioned it. We're also, like, on, like, podcast.fm, and we're we're, also, we're we're on most places you can find podcasts, but Google Play is a big one, so I, I, well, we should know. Is that we, we get a lot more distribution than we than you and I know about. <laughs> well, yeah, but that that is one of them I noticed this week. I was like, I was like, I was gonna submit it. I was like, maybe I should do that. Just to, it's like, oh, we're already we've been there. We've been there for a while. So yeah. that's why it's fascinating just to Google us and just be like, you know, we're probably there. Yeah. Anyway, you can email us any thoughts you might have had on the writer or anything else discussed over at podcast at gmail com. Email us. Let us know if you liked our discussion on westerns and if you want to hear more of that kind of stuff. Or just let us know. Or in you general. can send it. Yeah. Or you can send the feedback on the westerns over at our Facebook page, Facebook dot com slash podcast or. Tweet us at twitter.com slash underscore podcast. And of course, please send plenty of gifts of various cowboy antics uh, over to our Tumblr page, outnowpodcast.tumblr.com. That is that's how oh. that's what we use it for. Um so yeah, that's gonna do it for this week's episode. Thank you, Maxwell, for joining us. Thank you, Maxwell. Thank you for having me. This was excellent. Great, yeah. No, glad to glad to get into all of this with the Westerns and the Rider and what have you. A lot of a lot of good talk there, and that's you know, that's that's gonna lead us into Wherever things go in the, in the after the sunset now, but uh, <laughs> and, until next week when we talk about Osha Jojo, that's gonna do it. So until then, so long. Adios, partner. Step in front of a runaway train, just to feel alive again. Pushing forward through the night. Hey. It's so far, so far away It's so far, so far Who had the broken leg in that movie? Was it Idris? Uh, Winslet. Winslet had the 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 broken leg in that movie. Yeah. And The Rock has no leg in Skyscraper, just to remind you. (laughs) Oh. Coming soon. Just to to remind you of that one. We're just plugging it early. (laughs) I've I've had one experience of snoring in a theater, I'll tell you right now. I saw in the fade the um, the, the not nominated... the the Diane Kruger yeah, um, yeah. German film. I was in the yeah. very front row. It was at it was at um, AFI Fest, um, yeah. and there was a man next sitting directly next to me. I was in the front row, um, and he fell asleep multiple times and was snoring. And I'd be like poking him with my like shoulder, like just kind of nudging him awake every now right. and then, just because it was like loud. <laughs> like. <It's not> <laughs>